The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. one-on-one with Poppy Chulo. Today is Monday, March 30th, 2015, and I'm your host, Poppy Chulo. Listeners, please welcome to one-on-one with Poppy Chulo, multiple award-winning fan favorite, adult industry veteran performer, director, and all-around entertainer, Jack Napier. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you, thank you. Oh, no, stop, stop. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and the crowd goes wild. <laughs> I think you forgot to mention cornball. <laughs> well, that was going to come up during the interview, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I got to no leave doubt, some surprises. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> How you been, man? It's been a while. It's been a long-ass time. I've been pretty good in yourself. Uh, Man, you know, I have definitely had some ups and some downs, and I'm going to make sure we cover all of that. We absolutely will be doing just that. I'm really excited about it. It's been a long time since we've done an interview. Our original interview was on uh, my blog, uh, which was what I did before the radio station. So listeners, if you want to read about Jack Napier, feel free to visit uh, poppychulosblog.com and look up our original interview. But if you want to hear Jack Napier, stay tuned because the man is right here. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. Now, when you say original interview, do you mean the original interview? Because I remember the original interview. Well, we do have the very first interview, which was Ah. many moons ago when Ah. Papichula was but a college student, a freshman. Ah, yeah. I I remember that, huh? I know, and I interviewed Jack for a term paper about uh, basically pornography becoming mainstream, which, I mean, pretty much... I predicted it, Jack Napier. I predicted it. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. We definitely talked about that. Now, how many, approximately, how many years ago was that? That was uh, 14 years ago. Approximately 14 years ago. No, well, actually, no well, no, that was in 2002. So that, so, so 13 years ago. Oh, we're almost there. Almost there. Yeah, close enough. We're yeah. Almost there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying, man, that was the original interview. That's what put all this in motion. Exactly. And I didn't even know I was going to end up becoming a blogger at that moment in time. But, uh, you know, it was all Jack Napier's fault. I blame you. 
I knew it was going to happen, but if I had said something at that time, people would have looked at me like a soothsayer and, you know, gone all Salem on me. Rich! Rich! You know what I mean? Exactly. People think that they would like to know the future, but, you know, you find somebody who actually knows the future, he's probably going to have some problems. <laughs> I agree. The world's, the world's not ready. You exactly. know what? I saw a picture. I saw a picture of a quote, and that quote said, you know, for all the people, it was basically about all the people who dreamed they could fly, I wish I could fly, and all that. And the quote said, if human beings could fly, they would look at it like exercise, and they would never do it. That's true. I was like, wow. You know what? I never thought about it like that. That probably is true. People aren't ready. They aren't ready. We're going to give it to them anyway, though. Exactly, because we're we're ready. Give it to them anyway. We're ready. Exactly. So let's jump into the interview. And typically during these one-on-one interviews, how I like to start it off is by getting stats out the way. Because for the most part, the listeners and the fans that are tuning in, they haven't had the chance to meet you in person. They only see you now on the various screens that they can, you know, whether it's the TV, computer, mobile devices. So let's get some of the stats. What's your height and weight? Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm still 72 inches tall on the dot, so I'm six feet on the dot. Um, but my weight has been fluctuating. Uh, last time uh, I, I weighed myself, I was 215 pounds, and the time before that, I was 185. Um, and uh, it, it seems like you might think, oh gosh, he must be, you know, weighing himself, you know, long periods in between. But um, yeah, it's it's I don't know. It's it's an interesting fluctuation. Like visually, it doesn't seem like my weight is changing so much. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if I got hit by a, a radioactive spider or what. But yeah, my weight has definitely been fluctuating. Possibly. Like weird. Yeah. <laughs> What's your ethnicity? That's a good question, sir. And I don't know how exact I can be as far as that's concerned. But um, I've got some real dark skin, so I'm assuming that there's definitely some uh, some um, negroid negroid background. Um, but uh, sometimes ethnicity falls away to you know nationality and all this good jazz, and they get blended in between. So that being said, um, I have I understand myself to have a uh, a Puerto Rican background. Indian background. Eh, Puerto Ricans got Indians too. Um, like the OGs and shit. Um, and, and some black background. So a Puerto Rican covers all that. You know what I mean? <laughs> it really does. So uh, black, Indian, Spanish. It's all mixed up in there. Yes. What's your zodiac sign? Uh, oh, you know what? Okay. Uh, I'm born uh, October 20th. Uh, so, uh, astrology wise, that makes me, uh, a Libra, I believe. Okay. Right at the cusp between, I think, Libra and Scorpio. I guess, man. I'm so not into that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. I know there's a lot of people like, oh man, I know, I know Jack is this and that because he's this and that. And people always look at me like, oh man, you must be a Capricorn because you're this. Oh, you must be a Cancer because you're this. Oh man, you're definitely an Aries because you're this. I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I totally am. You're Why absolutely not? right, man. You nailed it. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's my, that's my zodiac sign, but, but yeah, I, I wholeheartedly believe that people are products of their environment, and yeah, you really shouldn't invest too much into that. Even at the bottom of the scroll, they all say for entertainment purposes only. Have a fun, you know, have a blast, have fun with it, but, but yeah, 
if you're one of those people that looks at it every day to figure out which move you're going to make, you might want to reevaluate your life. <laughs> and next up, the big question, or maybe one of the big questions from this interview. How old are you? Another really good question. How honest do you want me to be? As honest as you want to be to the fans and the listeners. Um, I don't know exactly how old I am. I don't know. Now, here's what's going to really kick you in the head. None of us know exactly how old we are. We only go off of what we've been told since day one, piece of paper that we were given, and what people told us all our lives. That being said, I've been celebrating a birthday uh, pursuant to being born in 1976 on October 20th. Which would make me 38. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm sorry. These answers are just like way too deep, man. I no, try to be perfect. most correct. And so, <laughs> sometimes people look at me like, damn, dude, I just, I just needed a number. <laughs> no, I love the answers. Because this is Jack Napier. I mean, it wouldn't be a Jack Napier interview without, without the fantastic answers. I guess, man, it's true. Sometimes I can, you know, rub people along. We're like, damn, why is he so deep with this simple shit? Sometimes people just want simple. They, I don't know. I've, I've learned in my life that sometimes people don't want what's true. They just want what sounds good. That's interesting. Well, I love just the answers, man. Damn it. That's one of my favorite things about doing <laughs> an interview with you because I, I think the answers Word. are fantastic. Word. Well, that's what it is, man. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, I'm 38. Sounds good. So let's get to know the man behind the performer. Where are you originally from? From what I understand, I was born in Inglewood, California. Uh, I was raised in the Los Angeles area. I've lived everywhere from um, Watts to Atwater Village to Pasadena. Um, but uh, on the West Coast, I would... I would say that I spent most of my time and was raised and therefore claimed the San Fernando Valley. Shout out to the 818. All day. Although I'm still waiting for a chain. I'm just saying. <laughs> Chains are hard to come by, man. <laughs> I've, I've had a, a huge um, a huge demand, a huge uh, uh, request, response, whatever you want to call it, inquiries about uh, that chain. Um and the history behind it is is um, the the first very first one I ever had is one that I made myself, you know, mm. and I made it because uh, at the time I was living in um, in Great Lakes, Illinois, and at this time, you know, they were really downing. It's cool to be proud of where you're from. That's fantastic. You know what I mean? So so shout out to to everybody in the Chicago area, Waukegan area, Great Lakes area. Uh, they're very proud of where they're from, and that's cool, you know, Juliet. Um, but at the time I was out there, I was a young kid around a bunch of other young kids, man, and, you know, the West Coast was making a lot of noise at that time. And, you know, cats were all about, you know what I mean, I, yo, West Coast guys is this and that. Now, yo, West Coast people with the, the drippy Jerry Curl and Jerry Curl juice dripping and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And they were talking about everything, everything, everything. Oh, you guys with the funny colors and the funny clothes and this and that. And, you know, foo-foo lifestyle and Hollywood and blah, blah, blah. Anything, you know what I mean, negative that they could say without ever really being there. 
that's what they would that's what they would call me and they would attach me to all this you know funny style stuff that they attached to LA life right and after a while man you know it's funny for a minute but it's just when you're living there it's like yo really <laughs> and after a while I just rebelled against it and it was just like hey you know what this is who I am this is where I'm from this is what I rep, and all of a sudden, I just went full-blown everywhere I was from. You know, it was just like uh, I was wearing Kings, everything, Raiders, everything. Uh, at the time, Kings and Raiders were, were here in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, well, the Kings were still here. The Raiders were in, in Los Angeles at the time. But I was, I was full-blown, you know what I mean? Full-blown Raiders, whatever I could get my hands on. Kings, whatever I could get my hands on. Lakers, whatever I could get my hands on. And because I was from the San Fernando Valley at that time... I custom made a chain with that area code. Uh, the area code 818 was established in 1984 um, as a separation from um, what used to be the uh, 213 area. All of Los Angeles County used to be 213 once upon a time, and that covers an awful lot of ground. Los Angeles County covers an awful lot of ground. Um, and with so many people at this time, uh, eventually, they ran out of numbers. You only get, you know, <laughs> so many phone numbers before you get to 999-9999 or what have you mm-hmm. in an area code. you got to switch it up. you got to add another area code. So that's what happened. Um, so 1984, certain areas, uh, Pasadena, West Covina, uh, Azusa, I believe, um, places in that area. Um the San, in the entire San Fernando Valley, um, maybe even the San Gabriel Valley at, at one point, I believe so. Um, all of that eventually became 818. Um, and then more people came, and then there were more devices, and then more area codes, because now people are walking around with two phones and pagers and house phone and all this jazz. Numbers are just getting you know run through. Anyway, the point is, that's where the 818 originated from, and that's where it centered with me. So I ended up fashioning an 818 necklace on a um, on a uh, Figaro style necklace, and I used keychain rings to hold the little pendants in place, right? And I didn't even ha- I wasn't even <laughs> at a jeweler or anything like that. I just got the pendants, and then I took keychain rings and I wrapped them around inside the necklace and to close them I used my teeth I actually bit down on the rings myself to fashion it that's basically where I was at I wasn't at even point where I could uh purchase a necklace much less have one customized was, I was you know I was really young man I was doing you know stupid stuff um but that's where it came from and that's where the first one started so you know I stuck with that time evolves time passes I grow um, things around me grow, uh, my job gets better, my money gets better, whatever. And I'm still an 818, you know, representative. So I upgraded my chain. So now it's, 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 uh, it's a lot nicer. <laughs> Very it's fancy. a lot nicer. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> still 818, you know what I mean? Uh, still, it still resembles the original chain. But uh, yeah, it's obviously got some upgrades. So yeah, <laughs> and it's got some obvious upgrades. But yeah, so that's what's up. But it's 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 basically been a uh, a represent a representation of who I am and where I'm from. Now since then, I've made four 
where I've had four made, right? Um, and uh, yeah, my cousin's got one. Uh, my oldest daughter has one. And um, I've got one that I wear. And one of them I ended up losing in a car somewhere. Somewhere I was in a car, a car that I owned. The car vanished. Um, I'm not sure what happened to it, but I know that the, the chain broke off in my neck. Uh, and that was, that was the original one, the original, original necklace, right? Ended up uh, getting lost inside this car somewhere. Um, so there are three remaining. And then there are two smaller versions. Um, so in existence, there are five in total. Um, so the two, two with large pendants, or excuse me, three with large pendants and two with smaller pendants. And, um, you know, yeah, stuff like that there. But, um, I don't know because of the, you know, response I've been getting from them. Um, I may do another version, a general populist version, um, and, and see how that takes, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 nothing I really wanted to get too heavily into initially, because again, it's it's one small thing that represents one small area. But uh, I mean, I don't know what happens if you see the entire San Fernando Valley rolling around with eight one eight change, and would would you ever see that? I mean, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if I if anybody else feels the same way about this area that I do. I know a lot of people you know, have tattoos, 818 tattoos and Valley tattoos. There's definitely a, a, a San Fernando Valley following and thriving. There are people who are about it. Um, but I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. And even, and if they did gravitate toward it like that, is that necessarily something I would want? Is it something that would devalue the things that I have put together? Or would I, you know, establish? I, I don't know. I think about all these crazy things. Maybe I think too much. Maybe I should just sell them and make money. <laughs> but anyway, that's that. There you go. Or at least hook Papi Chula up with one. 13 years, you know at what I'm least. saying? Yeah, right. Thanks for the story. Fuck all that other stuff. <laughs> Just give me a damn chain. Fuck them. I'm like, I'm 3,000 miles away. I represent 305, but fuck all that. Exactly. <laughs> I need that, son. I need that. All right, yes. word. I'll tell you what. If I decide to do it, I'll make sure you get one. I'll make sure you, right. you'll be one of the first people to get one. I'll make sure. And it's here on public record. There it is. Yes. So, can you share with the listeners what it was like for you growing up? What were you like as a kid, as a teenager? Uh, I was very smart, and I did a lot of dumb shit. Um, I was I was very, very, very intelligent. I learned things very, very quickly. However, I was I was too smart for my own good. I, I, my problem was that I knew I was smart. I knew I was smart, and because of that, it made me cocky. Um, and when you're cocky, you do a bunch of stupid stuff. So I got in trouble a lot. Um, I uh, I did the whole ditching school thing, and, and uh, I did the whole uh, cutting up in class thing. I want you to understand, I, my grades were pretty good. Um, for the most part, for a person who didn't really go to school too much, <laughs> my grades were pretty good. Uh, there were certain classes that I liked, and I would I would ace those classes. There were certain teachers that I liked, and I would do well in those classes. And then there were other classes where I was like, you know what? 
is this really going to benefit me later on in life? Like, am I going to go to a job interview and need to know uh, Ohm's law or uh, the uh, radius of a rhombus and isosceles triangle and <laughs> how obtuse this shit? You know, there are some jobs where that is going to be required. I just didn't see myself going to one. Um, so, again, this is just where my head was at, you know, when I'm 11, 12, 13 years old, what have you. Um, I was all about having fun. I was not really so into doing what everybody else was doing. A lot of, a lot of kids are real experimental at that age, so they're experimenting with cigarettes, and I did that. You know, I, I took one hit of a cigarette one time, and it was very bad, and I never wanted to do it again. Um, but, you know, this is a, a, an age where people are experimenting with, you know, weed and, and beer and, uh, you know, things that are much, much more involved and much more intense, <laughs> much more deadly. Um, so I tasted beer when I was real young, man, and, and I don't care what anybody tells you, man, beer's gross. Anybody who tells you that beer is delicious is fucking lying. <laughs> beer tastes like beer. Beer is gross. <laughs> it's something that you adapt to because just like cigarettes, you know what I mean? It's something you adapt to socially because people around you are doing it and it's associated with being cool. I get that. It's fantastic. It's got fantastic marketing. Nothing is marketed better than cigarettes and alcohol. Nothing on this planet is marketed better than cigarettes and alcohol. Uh, so I get that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that, your first impact, your body will tell you immediately, hey, this shit is not good. It's not good. And you tell your body, I need this, man. I need this for the social acceptance. You got to do this. I was not like this. My body was like this. But hey, don't do this shit again. And I didn't. I got the beer in my mouth. It tasted like shit. I spit it out. My body's like, hey, don't do this again. And I didn't. It's fucking gross. That being said, I wasn't getting drunk. Uh, I wasn't getting high. Uh, I wasn't shooting, sniffing, snorting, popping, none of that jazz. I really like to be in control of myself. Um, even as a you know young kid, I like to be in control of myself. I'm not about controlling everything around me, but I'm definitely being about being in, in control of myself. Um, but I was still a young asshole, and I still did a bunch of stupid shit, and I got in trouble a lot. But uh, yeah, that was that was me. I wasn't I wasn't very considerate uh, of a lot of things when I was younger. Uh, I was I was kind of a dick. <laughs> kind of a dick. Um, so yeah, that's, that's probably not what you were expecting to hear. But, but yeah, uh, I wasn't the um, I wasn't the most um, inspirational young teenager. Mm -hmm. I was just like I said, I was somebody who was really, really smart, and unfortunately, I knew how smart I was, and it made me cocky, and I, you know, I acted like an asshole from time to time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't so much into the into the gangs at that point. My social life because of this, because I was a <laughs> because I was a cocky nerd. My social life wasn't great. You're speaking of cocky nerds. There's a show called um, uh, Oh gosh, um, um, fuck! How, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on this. This dude, like, he's like, it's a super popular show with uh, the three nerds and the chick and the Big one main guy. Theory. Thank you, the Big Bang Theory, dude with the flash shirt on. Yeah, the Big Bang Theory, right? All right, so this dude is 
pretty much how I was. I didn't talk like him, but I thought like him. You know what I mean? I was kind of a dick like him. I was real smart, not as nerdy as this dude, but it, I was I was an urban version of him, basically. I was really fucking skinny. I was really fucking smart, and I was kind of a dick. <laughs> I was real quick with the short answers, you know what I mean, with the quips or whatever. I was a smart ass, you know what I mean? I really was. I did good in the books, but, I mean, in truth, socially, I was really well-known, but not extremely popular, per se. I was a class clown, and people laughed and all that, but after class was over, I went to my house, you know, other people went to their house. Then again, I had a swimming pool, so a lot of people came to my house, too. Um, but yeah, you know, it was, it was like that. It's kind of okay. like that. I was kind of a dick, but I had some perks. <laughs> what was going on with your life prior to entering the adult industry? Oh, that covers a lot of ground, man. That's that what I'm trying to do. All right. Uh, okay. So let's back up a little bit. I'm kind of a dick. Uh, but I've got perks, swimming pool, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But as I'm getting older now, let's say I'm around 16, 17. In fact, let's just go ahead and, yeah, between 16 and 17. Um, high school, um, I, I wasn't uh, deeply socially involved with uh, a lot of people around me. Uh, so by the time I get to high school, that's when everything relevant that people were doing in the summertime, like either summer school or having a job or learning how to drive, whatever people were doing in the summer while I was fucking off in my swimming pool feeling like the man. Um, I step into high school and it's like, oh, these fools have cars. I don't even have a bike. <laughs> it was like a whole different world, you know? Um, I was I was the man in... in, in um, you know, ninth grade, and this is just before, you know, ninth grade became part of high school. Mm -hmm. So I'm, in, I'm the man in ninth grade, and, you know, I step into, into high school, 10th grade, and, I'm, you know, these seniors are a whole nother level, and the girls look like a whole nother level. Everybody looked like kids to me, all flat-chested and gross. And I got the yearbook pictures to prove it, man. They don't look like these girls do today. Not at all. <laughs> I thought it was me, but I look back at my ear, but I'm like, nah, nah, these bitches didn't look like this like when I was in school. No. So anyway, um, now girls are looking really good. Guys look like supermen. They look, guys are looking like men. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they're like these fools got beards. They're shaving. They're like shoes. They look like my fucking teachers and shit. <laughs> like damn son. Um, and they're driving. And they got nice fucking whips and shit. You know what I mean? Like I said, I'm at a point where I, I didn't even have a bike. I, I'm walking to school. I didn't have a bicycle. I thought this shit was cool until I got to school. And I see fools with mini trucks. And their mini trucks have rims. And their trucks have, you know, hydraulics and shit. Yeah, they got, you know, beds that are moving and all this hot shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> all this, uh, you know, Luke Campbell shit, you know? I was like, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. These fools are uh, kind of doing it big. So that's when I started reevaluating my social status, and I kind of wanted to be a little bit cooler than I was, but I didn't know how to go about getting it. Um, so one thing that I noticed was the girls seemed to be flocking to the knuckleheads. 
they just locked in the knuckleheads. Knuckleheads got respect. Knucklehead, it seemed that way anyway. It seemed like the knuckleheads and the gangsters, you know, they were getting the, they were getting the respect. I say knuckleheads because a lot of these cats, from what from now that I understand, you know, gangsters and gangs and this and that, blah blah, with an older understanding and older perception of what it is, a lot of these kids were not gangsters. They were just knuckleheads. That wanted to be like gangsters, <laughs> so uh, they didn't have any codes or anything. They just all they did was dress a certain way and fuck up. But they didn't have any code. And they didn't have any click. A lot of people try to claim other jazz, and you know they end up not working well for them too. But again, knuckleheads, just people that were fucking up for attention, and they got it from girls who also were fucking up to get attention. Everybody wanted to be somebody back then, right? And I was no different. So. It wasn't long before I started seeing this, like, hey, all right, you know, if I do some knucklehead shit, <laughs> it'll get girls' attention. And it did. So before long, I'm feeding into this, you know, the attention I'm getting from girls, and I'm doing all this knucklehead shit, and now I start getting the attention of other knuckleheads, right? <laughs> Which was kind of good and kind of bad, but, you know... So, yeah, I was getting hit up from time to time. People asked me where I was from, and I was getting very lucky. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, I really wasn't from a gang at that time. Um, and um, I would say, hey, you know, I don't bang, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Now, the reason I say I was lucky is a lot of times people would get fucked up back then, even if you did say you weren't from anywhere. You're like, oh, you're not from anywhere? Wrong answer. And you were getting lumped up. You know what I mean? Some people got even worse. It was... It was a crazy time. So, <laughs> yeah. So being a knucklehead is not without, it's just desserts. And it wasn't too long before I started to go bigger and do bigger things to get more attention, more fame. So I went and I, I guess the small shit that I did went from like shoplifting and then that turned into being a tagger and then that turned into being a graph artist. Uh, break dancing, whatever dancing was popular, you know, shit like that. But it wasn't, it wasn't big enough, man. So I started getting, you know, the dancing was cool, but it wasn't big enough. So I started getting criminal, like I said. So um, shoplifting turned into tagging, tagging turned into graphing, and then I don't know how, but uh, eventually um, I got into a gang, and then next thing you know, I'm doing bigger shit, um, and um, I'm stealing cars, and um, breaking into houses, it, it was just out of control, man, it was it was a wild time, um, and, and again, it was all, this is, this is what was behind it, it was, a, it was something that developed, it wasn't just like, you know, fuck this, I'm this evil dude, I want to do some evil shit, and I don't care who it's involved, or, you know. It started off with just something simple. I just, I wanted some attention that I didn't know how to get, you know, at the time, you know what I mean? And I wanted it quick, because <laughs> I was feeling a lot of social pressure. Um, and it just evolved. So dancing turned into knucklehead jazz, and 
I was around girls who were already part of that. So me hanging around with these girls, you know, you one minute you're walking down the street, whatever. And next thing you know, you you know the girls are like, hey, let's go into the store. I'm like, okay, cool. Next thing you know, they're walking out with a gang of shit that they didn't pay for. Now I'm watching them, and my heart is pounding like crazy. My eyes are wide open, and my ears are wide open. Like, oh shit, did they really just do that? But I can't act like a bitch, or you know, I'll look like a bitch. So. <laughs> So you just kind of walk out with them, with big eyes and shit. Just don't say anything, man, and hope you don't get caught. And we didn't get caught. They were all high and celebrating and, yeah, yeah, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Did you see how I walked out? That bitch didn't notice me. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking at him like, damn, you know what I mean? But doing this a couple of times, the fear starts to dissipate. You start thinking, oh, okay, I guess you don't get caught when you do these things because these people don't pay attention. And before long, you're doing it. Um... And that, that's how that's how it started. Just hanging out with you know, hanging out with the wrong crowd, man. That's how it started, you know. And again, I don't blame them for uh, my choices that I made. I'm just saying that the exposure to it is what um, what made me feel like I could get away with it. Like what made me feel like there was no consequence. My my constant exposure of being around these people who were not you know, suffering any consequence. But it made me feel like, oh, okay, this is how you do it. All these people were telling me this and that and blah, blah, blah. If you do it like this, there's no consequence. That's what's in my super, super smart head, my too smart for my own good head. So, um, yeah, between that and wanting to go bigger before long, there was definitely consequence. And I ended up going to jail for the first time. And it was... No, wait, 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 wait. Take that back. I ended up getting caught by the cops for the first time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's what happened. So about 17 years old, I steal a truck, and this is the first this is the first car that I actually learned how to drive. I had played around in other cars and stuff like that, but this is the first one I actually learned how to drive. Um, and it was a pickup truck. And it was a stick shift. Typically speaking, if you're going to learn how to drive, you don't really want to do it in a stick shift pickup truck. Especially if it's stolen. Just saying, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I learned very quickly how to drive a stick shift. I had about, in my head, 30 seconds to get this car moving and on its way. I stalled a couple of times. And after that, it was just, I, I didn't have to, I didn't take time to, uh, you know, finesse the clutch. <laughs> I just mashed it like the Dukes of Hazard. and I was gone. Fortunately, there was not a whole lot of pickup in this pickup. So, yeah, it's not like I was causing a whole bunch of wreck. But, uh, yeah, after a while, I started learning how to, how to drive this. Now, because I enjoyed it so much, my dumb ass, I wanted to hold on to it. And I did. I held on to it for like two weeks. <laughs> For those who are listening, if you're going to steal a car, don't try to keep the car. Don't hold on for it for two weeks. I mean, if you got some people who know how to do some stuff, <laughs> that's different. But, yeah, what I tried to do is spray. <laughs> I tried to spray paint it so nobody would. I didn't even have enough paint to paint the whole truck. It was so sad. I think I painted, like, the front grill or some shit and, like, some of the sides. Oh, my gosh, it was pathetic. And it was, like, an orange pickup truck, man. <laughs> it was, like, safety orange and shit. It was so bad. Um, 
So yeah, I eventually got caught, and um, I ended up going to court. And I was given a choice. It was just on the cusp of my 18th birthday, and they were like, hey, check this out, man. Here's what's what. We understand that this is your first time. We also understand that uh, this is um, on the cusp of your 18th birthday, uh, but we also understand that, one, you stole the car, two, you tried to keep it, you had no intention of giving it back, and you tried to outrun the police. That's a felony offense. Did you know that, sir? Did you know that, Mr. Napier, that running, running, felony evasion? You know what I mean? Out running, trying to run away from the cops? I no, I didn't know that, man. I just, yeah. <laughs> so here's what I'm going to allow you to do. You can either go to jail, which I don't recommend, or I'm going to give you an opportunity to join the military and we'll remove this from your record. I'm like, no jail? I'm like, all right, let's go, military. I was scared of jail back then. Uh, funny because I ended up going anyway, but, um, yeah, that's what ended up sending me to the military, uh, joined the military, went into the Navy, became a gunner's mate stationed at NTC Great Lakes, um, did my gun school over there, uh, came out, was stationed at several bases, um, Bremerton, Washington, Long Beach, 32nd Street in San Diego, um, Pensacola, Florida. Never made it to Norfolk, Virginia, but I kind of wanted to. But anyway, um, what else? Uh, so I get out of the military. I'm doing the weekend warrior thing. And, or I get out of active duty. I'm doing weekend warrior thing or whatever before I ultimately go into inactive reserve and um, I go back to the old neighborhood to see how people are doing. And, ah, you know, it's not long before I get caught up in the same old jazz because I'm still a knucklehead, man. I'm probably about 19 at this point. Um, it's a new crowd, but the mentality is the same. Mm -hmm. And um, before long, now that I think I'm smart and I know some jazz and know what not to do, I'm in another stolen car. Now, granted, I'm a lot better with the car stealing, I'm a lot smoother with the driving, and I know not to keep the car. So I've, I've learned a few tricks, some basic skills, right? <laughs> but it's not long before I'm trying to outrun the cops again. But now, now I'm in a good car. Now I'm in a Datsun 280Z, man. This thing is like all engine. It was a V6. Cops didn't have a chance. It handled pretty well, too. However, I had a girlfriend at the time, and she was in the car, and blah, blah, blah. So I'm smashing down this one stretch, trying to get away. And as I get ready to hit the brakes, the one thing that this car did not have very well, it took off like a banshee, but um, it did not have very good brakes. Um, and even if it did have very good brakes, you know, like 110 miles an hour, you can't just stop at 40 feet. So, um, I pumped the brakes a couple times. They didn't respond too good. So I just laid out and tried to get the emergency brake action going and it worked, but not well enough and not with um, enough time to stop me from hitting the van that I smashed into. Now the cops, when I hit the van, were still way behind me, way behind me, more than enough time for me to get out of the car. I was fortunately not injured, you know? 
more than enough time for me to get out of the car and and certainly, certainly get away. At least I felt I certainly would have got away. I've never been caught on foot, by the way. Um, but I told the girl to get out, and she told me that she couldn't. And I looked, and she had injured her knee. And I could see a little bit of blood. wasn't major, no broken bones, but definitely enough to um, prevent a girl from running well. And my sentimental self, you know, very, uh, very gallant, very chivalrous. I wasn't going to leave the damsel in distress, so I stayed in the car. We're not together, by the way. So, <laughs> in retrospect, I should have boned out. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she ended up cheating on me later on with somebody else. You know, things happen. That's life. But, uh, yeah, in retrospect, I totally should have left her in the car. But anyway, that's how I ended up going to jail for the first time. So first time I go to jail, very scary, man. Uh, again, I'm, I'm too smart for my own good. I think I know jazz. Have you ever heard of the Hillside Strangler? Yes. Guess who ran into the Hillside Strangler and didn't realize it? Jack Napier. See, I'm thinking, all right, I got this low-level crime, and I'm looking. Back then, they had uh, numbers on your court papers. When you go back and forth to court, it would label you a one, two, or three based on the severity of your crime, right? And I had, like, a level three, you know? It wasn't super minor, but it also wasn't super major, you know? So it was, it was, it was the highest of the low. It was a felony, but it was like a low-level felony. So I'm in here, and uh, I go to Supermax, NCCF, North County Correctional Facility. Um, it is a state facility that was being leased out by the county to use as a jail facility, county jail facility. Um, but it was designed and built like a prison, so it had cameras it had all the new jazz it was a new facility it had all the new jazz it had like sally ports every 50 is either 50 feet or yeah yeah sally ports every 50 sally port is a glass sliding door that locks by the way uh, every 50 feet it had cameras at every sally port um it had like seven levels and i think five of them were built underground uh what else uh, it had guard towers, it had barbed wire, it had rows and rows and rows of razor wire. Uh, cops there did have guns, they had many 14s. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a real prison. And again, at that time, again, I'm still 19, right? So when I saw this, it was very disheartening. It definitely took all wind out of my chest, you know? Um... And once I came, once I went in through, through all these different ways that you have to go to get up here, it's, it's up in Saugus by Six Flags, um, by Canyon Country. And if you, I know you're not that familiar with the area, but it's very, very far and away from most things. The closest freeway would be the five and the 14. Um, but again, this place is just surrounded by sheriffs. There's like almost nothing but sheriffs that live in the area. Um, so, I mean, even if you could escape, and people have, I don't know of anybody escaping in CCF, but uh, CCF is at the high point of uh, the entire Pitches on a Ranch facility, 
which also encompasses um, medium north, medium south, uh, pitches on a ranch, which is low level, and um, maximum facility. Uh, so NCCF was above maximum facility, which is why they called it Supermax. Um, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is when you're a Supermax, man, there's there's not a, a lot of hope of, of, of going home. You, you definitely are going out when they let you out. And yeah, it was it was very disheartening when I first got there. So after a while, you start to know your program, you start to know people, things work around. And I'm not going to lie to you, man. I'm not encouraging anybody to go to jail, but anybody who's been to jail knows eh, after a minute, once you, once you get your program running, it's kind of a party. It really is. I hate to say that because, you know, it makes people think that jail's not so bad. Jail sucks. Jail sucks. I want people to understand that. Jail sucks. If you're not doing anything to defend your family, there's nothing worth going to jail for. If you're not trying to defend your people, if you're not signing up for your family, you're standing up for your people or what have you, nothing worth going to jail for. There's nothing you can steal. I take that back. <laughs> Look, if you've got 20 mil stashed somewhere and you've got like a five-year bid to do and you've got 20 mil waiting for you when you get out, hey, fuck, I can't tell you. I can't tell you that's four million a year. I can't tell you not to do that. That being said, for the most part, there's nothing worth going to jail for. And now that I've stated that, if you do end up going to jail, at least in these facilities, this is how it was back then, it was kind of a party. And, I mean, we had cable television. We had movie nights. You know what I mean? For the, We had our days. It, everything is, is separated and associated by race. So you've got, you've got black phones, white phones. Uh, you know, Mexican phones, you've got black TV day, white TV day, <laughs> Mexican TV day. Uh, <clears throat> you've got um, places where we eat. There's the white tables, the Mexican tables, the black tables. It's very, very, very race separated, very, you know, very segregated. Um, and that's a whole nother conversation that we'll, we'll get into another day. But, um, Geez, I'm still trying to answer this one question. <laughs> it's a good answer, um, though. Yeah, man, it's pretty in de detail, pretty in depth. I told you it covered a lot of ground. All right, so um, once you understand the program again, uh, you start seeing there's all these 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 things, man, that you didn't accept. I mean, excuse me, you didn't expect. Um, so they've got. Uh, I mean, they call it yard time. Sometimes it's optional. Sometimes it's mandatory. But that being said. There was weights on the yards. <clears throat> there was volleyball on the yard. There was basketball on the yard. You could just walk or chill. You could play handball on the yard. It's uh, kind of like going to the gym <laughs> or to the park. You know, it's definitely like going out. Uh, just, you know, hang out. Or you could just, like I said, just walk around, chill, chop it up. Uh, they, had, they had tables installed, like immovable tables installed inside the dormitories with checker and chess and backgammon boards set up on the table. So that being said, they were designed for you to play on them. So they had, you know, outside play and inside, you got your board games or whatever, blah, 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 television here, there, whatever. Um, it was 
all I'm saying, you, they had a library, they had school, they had computer classes, a lot of schooling that was going on. So if you wanted to get out of the dorm to say, hey, I want to go to class, boom, go to class. Hey, I want to go to computer class, boom. They had schooling that you could go to to learn certain trades. I took up, uh, I took parenting classes, I took a painting class. Uh, I learned scaffolding. Uh, there were definitely a, a whole bunch of jazz that I wanted to do to break up the monotony of being in dorm for several reasons. One, I didn't want to completely waste my time while I was there. And two, a lot of bullshit happens in the dorm when you're there. But, you know, when a whole bunch of dudes are over here in the dorm and everything is so segregated and everybody's trying to come up and, you know, there's a whole bunch of criminals. We're not in here for doing the right thing. And everybody's got their own ego and everybody's testy and everybody's got something to prove. It doesn't take long for shit to jump off. And when it does, it's major because there's nowhere to go and everything is so racial. Um, so, yeah. And because we're criminals always trying to get an edge on the next criminal, uh, you know, it can be, it can be deadly. It can be deadly. That, that, that's, that's the best way to put it. It can definitely be deadly. It's almost always bloody and it can definitely be deadly. Um, so I tried to be out of the dorm when I could, because if you, you know, if you're going to fight, fight for something, if you're going to die, die for something. Don't do it for somebody else's bullshit. You know, that's, that's a, you, you know, a huge problem that people have with all the wars that people are getting sent out for, you know. Um, but, I, I, again, it's another political thing. I'm not going to get into that right now. Um, but, yeah, I was not trying to necessarily be in a fight in a dorm because of a bad deal between two stupid dudes and a pack of cigarettes. You know, and now the whole dorm is being tore upside down and shit. Yeah, I'm good. So, I um, was out a lot, as much as I could be. Um, I stayed up very late at night, watched over a lot of things, because sometimes things happen at night, man. It's jail. It's just what it is. Uh, and then I slept mostly in the daytime, <clears throat> because everybody's up in the daytime. And nobody likes to be seen doing anything. And everybody's up and everybody's watching everybody. I'm like, okay, cool. Perfect time to sleep. <laughs> That's just the way my mind worked, you know. Um, I was always trying to be on the, uh, it, it, kind of like a freeway, right? I was trying to be against traffic. So I, while I was in jail, I was definitely against traffic, like as much as I could be. Um, so, what? Um... My first time being in, got the program, and it was like a party. After a while, you start to know people. You know what I mean? You see people come. You see people go. Um, and by the time you're leaving, you know, you've actually got a, a camaraderie with uh, many of the people that are there. You know? You've, you know, you've bonded with a lot of these people. You know, some of these people you trusted, you, you know, your life with. Some of these people you share your food with, whatever. You get through hard times with, share stories, whatever. There's a bonding involved, you know. Um, so, you get ready to hit the streets. All your all your jailhouse possessions, you leave it all to the people who are in jail to make their stay a little bit better because you're getting ready to go to the street. Boom. So, hey, here's, your, here's the store. Here's the candy. You guys can have all of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Here, here's my bedding. Here's my fresh clothes. Here's my brand new comb. Here's my, you know, my fish kit. Here's my, my, sh my shampoo from the store. All the little things that you got for yourself to make it a little bit easier or better living, you know, whatever. Notepad, pencils, whatever. You leave that. Don't take that shit with you. You're getting ready to go to the street where it's better. So, boom. 
Um, and I stepped out and it was like, woo. And what do I do when I step out? I go right back to the same neighborhood. <laughs> so I step out and everybody knows I've been in jail. They're like, oh shit, this dude's the man. It was funny because all that, that, all of that uh, attention that I was looking for uh, before going to jail, all that, you know, so-called respect that I was looking for, right? Before going to jail. Now I had it. When I was in the street, I stepped out and everybody's like, oh shit, Jack's been jail. You know what I mean? I had a street name at the time. I won't get into that, but <laughs> like, oh, this dude, he's been to jail, right? Fuck it. They called me Presto back then. Whatever. All right. <laughs> we won't get too deep into that. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I was in and out of situations like MacGyver and quick to make things disappear with thievery hands. So Presto was the name. I ended up tagging that like magic, you know, boom, bada bing. Anyway. So before long, people knew I was out and I was, I was li literally like a, you know, like a, a small time celebrity. I was, I was just about to turn 20 and in the neighborhood, I was like a small time celebrity. So I started with the graffiti again. And now when people saw my name, they associated with that dude who just got out of jail. So it was, mm -hmm. it was bigger, you know what I mean? And before long, I, I literally had more girls than I knew what to do with, like, like literally. Um, within a two-block range, I was seeing like eight chicks. It was ridiculous. Like a, like a two-block, you know, yeah, two-block range. If you went uh, up one block and then two blocks over, within that small range, that small area, I was seeing like eight chicks. Um, and the best part was... They didn't know about it. Two of them lived in, in one complex. There were there was <laughs> there were two that lived in the same complex, like right behind each other. But because of the restrictions, they were young, you know what I mean? So the restrictions of their parents, you know, they weren't really allowed to go out so much. Um so I would see one. One had you know, didn't have have the restrictions so I could go into her place and kick it, you know, her her mom be there, whatever, blah, blah, blah. We hang out, whatever, boom, boom, boom. And then her neighbor right behind her couldn't come out so much, so I'd go visit her behind the wall. <laughs> so I couldn't be seen, and she couldn't be seen. It was funny shit, but uh, everybody knew about everybody, but nobody really knew people's involvement. Um, but yeah, that kind of blew over at one point, um, and people started saying this, that, or whatever, blah, 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 you know, but... Nobody ever caught me with anybody. And if it was, it was always, you know, casual. So it's like, whatever, whatever. And they're young because, you know, they, they're, they're trying to be flying shit too. So if somebody was seen and like, hey, are you, uh, are you guys doing this and that? And girls would be like, nah. I'd be like, nah, just, you know, we're just cool. We're just cool. And that was it. So it kind of worked out with everybody because nobody was trying to get their spot blown. You know what I mean? I'm some biggie small shit. <laughs> nobody was trying to get their spot blown. So... So that's how it was, but I'm going to tell you, man, the shit was kind of exhausting. It really, really was. Now, I don't mean just the sex and just the kissing and all that. I mean the ducking and dodging. That was the exhausting part because everybody was so close. I mean, we're talking about just line of sight type thing. If, if I was just on the street, line of sight, you could see like, you know, 
three spots where I would be at. You move over to the next block, you'd be in a corner, and now you've got, like, people within the same building. You know what I mean? In fact, with, oh, my gosh, there were two sisters that I was seeing, and they knew about each other, right? But they were in competition with each other. There is... <laughs> Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, one one named Shannon, the other named Patty, and and they were like in competition with each other, but they were both like in denial. You know what I mean? So in front of each other, you know, in front of this is like, oh, you can have him now. Nah, you can have him. Oh, you can have him now. Nah, you can have him. Nah, like, okay, fuck both of you. But as soon as I'm behind, as soon as I'm away, separate. You know, they would try to separate from each other. Like, hey, man, are you still trying to talk to my sister? I'm like, man, no, I'm talking to you. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. <laughs> it's wild shit. Or I'd meet one at one bedroom window, then walk around the back of the apartment and meet the other, the other bedroom window. Wild shit. Anyway, like I said, very exhausting. Um, before long, uh, I'm back to doing more knucklehead shit. Because, hey, young girls like knucklehead shit. Got to keep gotta keep up appearances. And before long, I'm back in jail. Uh, it was more minor this time. Um, I think it was, like, embezzlement. I think I stole some shoes from a place that I was working with and got caught. Um, hey, I ended up going back to the county and yeah I'm starting to see the people again it's like, like I said you see boys that you just left and you're like oh man I remember you were here at this time for this crime and whatever blah 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 where you at now oh I'm in dorm 621 oh, okay I'm at 524 hit me up whatever blah 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 and that's what it was it's like <laughs> they're like your neighbors on the street <laughs> it's crazy so uh, yeah now you got now you go back a second time it's like boys and shit you got you know you got people in jail now it's weird um, and the program, you already knew it, so it wasn't hard. You knew what to do, what not to do, where to go, everything. I knew, I, knew, I literally knew how to walk the walk. So going to jail didn't scare me anymore. It was not an issue. It wasn't really something that you could threaten me with. And again, at this time, I didn't really see my life on the upswing outside anyway, so I, I really didn't care. I told you when I was younger, I was kind of a dick anyway. So... This was just something else that nobody could threaten me with anymore. I couldn't be threatened with jail because didn't, I didn't fear it. I wasn't looking about um, how this would affect me down the line. It was just I was just living right here, right now, right, right for today. Um, and because of that, I ended going, I ended up going back and forth to jail many times, many times. Um, and so one day. I literally just got tired of it. I got bored of it. I got bored of walking the same walk. I got bored of having to come out for count six times a day and saying my name and, and, and uh, ranting out this number that was attached to it. Um, I got tired, tired of county policy and I got tired of uh, jailhouse politics and jailhouse rules. I got tired of having to do things because somebody else did something. Uh, I got tired of getting caught up in other people's jazz. I got tired of having to smell other men's farts <laughs> in the county jail, man. I'm like, man, this is, uh, this is bullshit, right? At some point, I just valued myself as higher than where I kept putting myself. And I decided 
and this is it. I'm good. This has been fun. I've got some great memories and tell some great stories, but there is nothing here for me anymore. And I was done with it. So I stepped out and I was like, okay, I'm going to try to make something of myself this time and try to make a hit this time. And I did. Um, I tried really hard to get jobs and it wasn't, it really wasn't easy uh, because at this time, and again, we're talking like 16, 16, 17 years ago. Isn't it amazing even just to say all of this that I'm telling you about and now I'm talking about when I'm finally out and it's still 17 years ago. We're not yeah. even close to today yet. It's fucking nuts, right? So anyway, <laughs> so now, um, I'm, I'm what, like 22 years old and I'm grinding, 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 trying to keep a job. Because um, I'm on parole by this time. There's a whole bunch of jazz. I ended up going to prison, and you know, so a couple of facilities and shit. But I kind of skipped that part just for the sake of you know time. But um, yeah, did that. Went to Wasco. Went to Delano. Went to Donovan. Went to Shaft. All right, just sum that up. Prison. Uh, there's a lot more respect in prison, but there needs to be. Uh, there's not a lot of the uh, L.A. County games, not a lot of county jailhouse games in prison, because in prison, people die, and and that's it. You know, that's, that's the other. That's, that, there's really no other way to, to put it. Uh, you may have some scraps and some this and some that or whatever in the L.A. County jail. You may have some street beef or some bullshit like that. In prison, there's no street beef. There's none of that shit. Uh, you mind your business. You do your thing. You can be cool, you can have fun and all that, but prison is very, very serious. It's very serious, you know. So, um, and it was, it was definitely not a place for me because I like to have fun. I like to be jovial. I like to be goofy. I like to be silly. You know, I like to cut up whenever I feel like it. You know, if, I'm, if I just feel like pop locking to a song, I, I want to be able to do that. And prison is definitely not the place. You know what I mean? So I definitely decided, hey, <laughs> I am a very fun guy. I like to have fun, and this is not a have fun type place. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, but it's time for Jack to get the fuck up out of here. That's basically what it was, man. So I kept my eyes open, kept my ears open, kept my head down, you know what I mean, and slid the fuck out of prison without incident, very fortunately. I had a couple of incidents, but, you know, like I said, I, I got my digits, I got my limbs, you know what I mean? No harm, no foul. Um, and that was it. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. So now I'm on parole, and I'm trying to find work. Work is very difficult. If I tell people that I have been to prison, they're like, hey, we can't fuck with you. Because at this time, that's what I was getting at. 17 years ago, there were no tax credits for people getting out. Of, uh, or for, for companies that were hiring uh, parolees. At that time, you only had lawyers and company policy and insurance policies. And if you were to hire a known felon and something were to happen at your company and it turns out that you knowingly hired a felon, a lot of insurance companies would not, uh, would not um, pay out whatever claim you had for whatever incidents you had because they would be like, you know, how do we know that this was not an inside job? I mean, you hired a known felon. How do we know that this guy 
did not have something to do with it. And if you knowingly hired him, how do we know that you didn't have something to do with that? So a lot of people, just for insurance reasons, stayed away from it. So basically for me, if I told people that I had felonies, boom, I wasn't going to get hired. And if I lied about it, then I'd get hired until they found out about it, which is generally about anywhere from 90 to 45 to 90 days, I would say. Within 45 days, or between 45 and, and, and 90 days, people did this thing called InfoSeek. Like, for example, let's say, it's funny because I used to work for InfoSeek, too. It was one of the jobs I had. Um, if you, we start you off, get you working, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You do a good job. And uh, they, it's like a probationary period. And then what they want to do is take you on as regular, not permanent, regular employee, right? So now they do background checks and it's a little bit more extensive. <laughs> they find out, oh, hey, we got this background check on you, man. It turns out you got busted for this, that, that, and the third back at this time, this time, and this time. And over here is on your application that you had never been arrested, never been to jail. Well, now that we know better, we're going to have to terminate you, not because you're not a good worker, but because you lied on your application. Oh, Jack, for shame. If you had just told us the truth from the beginning, <laughs> that's the game, right? So if you had told us from the truth from the beginning, we would have hired you. But, or, you know, we would have understood and this and that. But, yeah, that's not how it is. You tell them the truth from the beginning and they can't hire you because of insurance reasons. I get it. So... I did a lot of back and forth, um, a lot of application filling out, a lot of resume updating because I knew that I only had about three months, between 45 days and three months before I was going to get terminated from whatever job I was at, which means I had to have another one on deck. Or I'd have to have a better thing. Like, for example, at this time, um, I think minimum wage was like 6.25 or something like that, 7 bucks, something like that. Um, and I, I had I had jobs that were like you know starting off at nine fifty, so I was like, oh okay, minimum wage is seven dollars. I got a nine fifty job and I'm out of prison. Fuck yeah, let's go, let's take that. It's not it doesn't sound like anything now, I know, but at the time it's like, oh okay, let's go ahead, let's do that. Um, so now I'm working for nine fifty, so I need to have another job that was at least nine fifty. Here's another one for ten dollars. Boom. So I jump on that right, or maybe I jump ship early. Because there's another job that's starting at $12 an hour. Time is not on my side as it is, so why would I wait for somebody to fire me? I could just quit now and just jump on in. Mm -hmm. And so I did that, you know what I mean? So I would leave the $10 an hour job and hurry up at this, you know, $12 an hour job. Boom. The last one I was at, I was a mail clerk for a, for a, um, what is it's called? It is, I guess the best way to put it would be, uh, it's a CPA firm, you know? So they had certified public accountants for uh, high-profile customers. So I ran into um, a lot of, especially at this time, a lot of high-profile people. Um, everyone from, uh, I mean, jeez, Carl Weathers, uh, Corey Feldman, uh, uh, what's that other dude's name? Uh, uh, I can see his damn face and I can't think of it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. The point is, 
CPA firms do taxes for people who make a lot of money, right? A lot of these people are, you know, famous people or whatever. So I ran into a lot of famous people. And because I was a mail clerk, I also ran into a lot of their sensitive information. Dun, dun, dun. But anyway, I'm pretty good at keeping secrets. Anyway, this was the last job that I had, and it paid $15 an hour, and I was just steadfast. I was going to stay at this job. Steadfast. I wasn't going anywhere. And then, that's when it happened. The phone call that changed everything. Which I love this story. (laughs) The phone call that changed everything. So, as I had mentioned earlier... I was very busy with resumes and applications and turning all of these things in um, regularly, turning in uh, new applications and turning in new resumes regularly because I knew it was a short time before I had to get another job. Now, things seemed to be working very well at this firm that I was at. The name of the firm was Singer, Leewag, Greenbaum, and Goldstein which is what I had to say every day when I answered the phone. Good morning. Oh, yeah. Good morning. Thank you for calling Senior Link Greenbaum Green Bomb and Goldstein. Good morning, Senior Link Green Bomb and Goldstein. This is Jack. How can I help you? You know what I mean? Boom. I had to have that. And you had to say every name. You had to say every name, right? These are the four main heads of the companies, right? The four, the four partners, right? It was, a, it was a top 100 tax company in the country. You know, it was within the top 100 uh, CPA firms within the country. And all of them were very good at what they did. And uh, all four of them very, worked very hard to be where they were at. Um, I think the main, main, I think the heaviest hitter of the foursome was Mr. Goldstein, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but uh, yeah, they all wanted you to make sure that you got that name when you uh, when you answered the phone. So that's what it was. Good morning, Singer Lee Wack Greenbaum and Goldstein. Who's Jack? Can I help you? Singer Lee Wack Greenbaum and Goldstein. I will never forget that. <laughs> anyway, um, I was convinced that I was going to keep this fifteen dollar an hour job as long as I could, and hopefully after. Um, I um. I was working directly underneath a woman named Celeste Renta. Celeste Renta. It might be DeRenta, Celeste DeRenta, but I believe it was Celeste Renta. But anyway, very nice Italian lady. Um, and um, yeah, we, on a strictly professional level, we grew fight quite fond of each other. You know what I mean? Um, she liked me as a person, liked the work that I did, I like good jazz. Um, but, you know, again, one day it comes to light, hey, you know, here's who I am and here's what I've done in the past and what have you, blah, blah, blah. And they, you know, they, uh, I knew I was getting fired and Celeste literally was in tears literally was in tears. And I, again, I had been there for less than three months. Um, no, I, I take it back. I had been there for three months. I had been there for three months. And she was literally in tears at the thought that I was going to be let go. And that's when I had the meeting 
with Mr. Goldstein. I believe, <clears throat> if I'm not mistaken, that his name was Harvey. Harvey Goldstein. Um, and we had a meeting. It's kind of detailed. I, can't, I, I don't think I can legally get into the details of the meeting. But uh, Harvey's like, look, man, I understand where it is. I see where you're at. You know what I mean? So I'll tell you what. Celeste here is my right-hand woman. And um, she says you're excellent at what you do. She believes in you. Bada boom, bada bing. If you want a shot, if you want a chance, we'll give it to you. So and the reason I'm saying this right now is because I definitely want to acknowledge this one company that uh, and these people that looked past my past and said, hey, we'll give you a shot in spite of everything. In spite of everything you were before you got here, in spite of what happened since you've been here. So let's say you're fantastic at what you do. She vouches for you. And if you want to stay, just fly straight, and we can forget about this. So huge, huge, huge shout-out to Celeste Renta and Harvey Goldstein for seeing me as a human and not as a criminal. Um... And, like I said, I knew this was where I was going to stay. Then I got the phone call. <laughs> now, in that phone call, um, there was a, uh, it was actually a voicemail message. Voicemail message was left on my answering machine, and that should let you know about how old this is. <laughs> I had an answering machine. Not voicemail, answering machine. And I thought it was hot, too, because it was like digital, digital answering machine, you know. I was, I was beyond the tapes because, you know, I was up to date in the world. <laughs> Hell yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? I was a man. I got a digital, digital voice machine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. So, digital answering machine. Funny shit. Anyway, there was a message from a woman named Gigi from West Coast Productions. And the message was vague and it went as follows. Hey, Treasure, this is Gigi from West Coast. Got some work for you. Give me a call back. Area code 818. I do that because the number is actually the same to this day. I do remember the number, and yes, the number is the same to this day. Um, anyway, I called... Because in my head, this was something that I had applied for, even though I know my name is not Treasure. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that this is a, um, I'm thinking that this is a, uh, either a call center job or a customer service job. And I'm thinking like a human being who's done this for InfoSeq before and used to screen people myself. So I'm thinking that she had a couple of, papers, a couple of resumes or a couple of inter or excuse me, a couple of applications in front of her and she just read one name off of one and then read the number off another. Shout Simple. out to Treasure. You know wherever I mean? you happens. are. Yeah, I actually never met her. I've seen pictures of her, but I actually never met her. It's crazy. Um I never have given her several shouts out my shout outs myself, but yeah, never ran into her. Um Anyway, and now there's like been a thousand treasures since, so who, you know. 
This is going out to 1999 trigger though. <laughs> All right. So anyway, um, Gigi's like, uh, yeah, give me a call back or whatever, blah, blah, blah. So I call back and I say, Hey, how are you doing? You know, I'm Jack. You called, left a voicemail message, uh, or excuse me, you left a message on my answering machine, <laughs> voicemail. Um, and um, listen, I know I'm not the person that you were looking for. I'm not this treasure that you mentioned in the answering machine, but I am looking for work. And, you know, she was like, oh, okay, well, what do you do? And I was like, cool, foot in the door, you know what I mean? So I was like, yeah, you know. And I started trying to sell her on all my customer service skills and my uh, call center skills. And she polite, politely lets me know that that's not, you know, what she's looking for. So now I'm just trying to sell her on my skills as a, as a good worker, period. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I'm punctual. I'm, I'm smart. I'm attentive. You know what I mean? Uh, I, uh, I'm articulate. You know, I'm trying to give her all this good jazz, and she's laughing. You know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to make this happen. And she's laughing, and I didn't get it. And that's when she let me know that West Coast Productions was an adult film company. And I said, excuse me? It sounded like you said adult film. And she's like, yes, honey, we shoot pornos. So now I'm completely embarrassed. I'm completely embarrassed because I'm thinking, first of all, I'm like, oh, shit, porno, right? And I just flash black. I, I immediately flash back to probably the last time I had looked at any porn and I think the last time up until this point, believe it or not, the last time I looked at any porn, I think I was like in sixth grade and, um, somebody had, uh, snuck a magazine in and we were in the boys bathroom looking at pages, of this magazine. Um, I haven't remembered dude's name. His name was Hyung Song. Ended up a Korean dude. Real good with the martial arts, man. Hapkido, I believe his dad was like a fifth degree black belt. Hapkido owned a studio and he ended up becoming, you know, uh, a teacher as well. And, uh, Hapkido was very popular at school, very smart, scholastic kid, but at sixth grade, he was a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> so young song got the, the, the porn and I was like, Oh shit, the porn magazine. And that's, uh, the last time I'd actually seen some. Um, so now, which is kind of wild, I think. Now that I think about it, I just, I don't know. Wasn't really into looking at porn. But anyway, um, she's letting me know now this is a porn company. I'm thinking, damn, I, now I understand why she's laughing because I just tried to sell her on all this uh, clerical shit, you know what I mean? And she's on some a whole nother level. I'm, I'm like, hey, uh, you know, I'm articulate. Huh? Huh? Got these good customer service skills. Huh? Show up on time, prompt, learn whatever you got. Yeah, call center, baby. That's what I'm about. <laughs> So now she's like, well, have you ever done anything like that before? I'm like, no. And uh, she's like, well, have you ever thought about it? I'm like, uh, well, yeah. So now, though, because I know what she does and what she wanted, you know, what she wanted me to do or, or basically what she was representing, you know what I mean? West Coast Productions and the porn industry and what have you. Now, 
she's asking me questions and questions and I'm a lot more apprehensive about my answers because now it's like everything has just become porn related in my brain. So she's like, uh, well, what do you look like? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what you mean. What do you mean? What do I look like? She's like, how do you describe yourself? I'm like, uh, I don't know. Tall and skinny, I guess. And she's like, no, no. I mean, are you, are you black? Are you white? I'm like, Oh, Oh no. I mean, I guess, you know, black. And she's like, um, how tall are you? I'm like, uh, six feet tall, whatever. She's like, you got a big dick. I'm like, oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> That's another thing that's kind of funny. Cause really at this point, I really did not know. <laughs> I did not know. Um, people ask me like, how do you not know? How do you not know that you had a big dick? You have a huge fucking dick. How do you not know that you have a big dick? I'll get to that in a second. All right. So, She's like, well, um, do you have any pictures of yourself? And now, again, apprehensive. I'm like, uh, what, what, what kind of pictures? And she's like, oh, you know, just some headshots. And I didn't know anything about modeling, but I knew what head was. I'm like, uh, headshots? She's like, no, 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 no. Just pictures of your face. Do you have any pictures of your face? I was like, oh, no. No, I don't have any pictures of my face. No. Sorry, I don't have anything like that. So she gave me an address. Like, look. Here, I want you to come down, take this address down. What are you doing Thursday? I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I should be okay. She's like, can you come down to... Actually, I think I can say that address because they're not there anymore. Anyway, they wanted me to come down to an address on Remit. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I came down to this address on Remit. And um, at this time, it was her... Uh, in the office, she was the office automator. I made the mistake of calling her the secretary. She's like, I am the office automator. I was like, oh, my bad. So um, there was the owner of the company, James Alexander, and I only say his name because his name's on all the legal documents everywhere, so everybody knows that the owner's name is Jay Alexander, so it's not a big deal. And then there was Doug the Warehouse Guy. I say Doug the Warehouse Guy because one... His name was Doug. He was a warehouse guy. And it's kind of general. You either know him or you don't. It's not like you're going to Google Doug the warehouse guy and show up, you know, finding out who he is. So, there was Doug. That was it. That was the company. Doug, James, Gigi. Boom. That was West Coast in 99 when I got there. Um, so... I went in not knowing what to expect. So I came dressed in a suit. And I didn't really have money. I was kind of fresh out of jail. Not fresh out of jail. I'd been out of jail for a little while, but I still didn't have, I didn't have a suit, you know. But I, I didn't know what to expect. I kind of wanted to, you know, dress up, but I, I didn't know what to wear. My suit didn't fit. It belonged to my stepdad. It was like, Six sizes too big. <laughs> it looked ridiculous. Um, the whole idea that I was coming in a suit for an interview at a porn company was ridiculous in itself, but I didn't know that at the time. So they had me fill out this paperwork, which basically consisted of who I am, 
what I look like, my do's and don'ts and stuff like that, just to have, you know, some kind of a file on me. They wanted to call me in the future. So then finally we get down to the nitty-gritty, and uh, Gigi's like, okay, go to the back, go see Doug. Doug's going to take pictures of you. I'm like, uh, what? He's like, yeah, you're going to go over and get undressed, and Doug's going to take pictures of you. I'm looking at Doug. Doug heads to the floor. Doug doesn't want to do this anymore, and I want to have it done, which somehow made me a little bit more comfortable. So I was like, okay. So we go in the back. Doug is like, you know, turned away. <laughs> Doug's one of these dudes. He's like, man, he's just got to do his fucking job. He's got to wait to the absolute last moment just to make sure that the camera is in the general direction and take shots. He's not even going to look at the pictures that he's taking. You know what I mean? He's just making sure that the camera is in the general vicinity to get the pictures that he needs to take. And I'm like, you know what? Doug does really not want to do this. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I can appreciate that. It's all right. So I'm like, I'm just trying to, I'm going to just find the camera, get naked, find the camera, just let her know I'm ready and start clicking. So we worked it out. Neither one of us really wanted to do this shit, but it had to be done, right? So we worked with each other, and we were pretty good friends because we had that understanding. <laughs> um, and you might be wondering, all oh, right, so this must be when you got into the adult entertainment industry. This must be where it started, right? No, not where it started. Um, what happened was, I didn't. first of all, I didn't have an agent. So what she did, Gigi, she gave me the information of a guy named Ed Shines, uh, who I believe is no longer with us. Um, and uh, I, I had heard that he passed away. So uh, if, in fact, that is the case, and I kind of believe it is, rest in peace to Ed Shines. Um, she uh, gave me his information, and I went to go meet up with Ed Shines. He was an agent, right? And he was working as a partner for a company called Divine Models at the time. And um, Divine Models consisted of him and, I believe, two other partners, but I'll get to that in just a second. So I went to go see Ed and I got to paint this picture for you because Ed was a scary dude. <laughs> Ed was, Ed was, Ed was, um, Ed was like, yeah, I think he was somewhere in the range of between 250, 275, he was about six three. He's kind of a kind of a hefty dude. He might have been even closer to three hundred. He was kind of a big dude. Um, short hair, dark skinned dude. He had these great big bulging eyes. He spoke. He was from Trinidad. He spoke with a Trinidad accent. Um, he had a lisp, and he stuttered. Now, all of these details are important because they all had a factor in the complete picture. Ed was a great big-ass dude who was dark as hell with great big-ass bulging eyes who spoke with a lisp and stuttered. 
Okay? Keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. So when I met this dude, it was in this... <laughs> it was in this fake dentist office, right? I went to this place on uh, Canby in in Reseda, like Canby in Sherman Way, and it was a fake dentist office. <laughs> I didn't think I was in the right place because it was like clearly made out to look like a dentist office. And when you walked in, it probably was a dentist office, but uh, yeah, it wasn't anymore. So I got in and uh, saw some magazines on the ground and some pictures up on the wall. Ed met me, shook my hand, said, come on in. I didn't know what to expect. I just knew I didn't have to wear the suit anymore, so I didn't tell him the suit. Or, or you know, I may have. I may I don't, I don't remember. A lot of shit was a blur. <laughs> I remember that was a scary fucking day. I remember that. Um, what's his name? Uh, long story short... Ed gave me a little short interview, told me a little bit about the company, this and that, told me about his partners. I couldn't remember their names at the time. You know, I was just trying to take everything in and really wondering what was about to happen because this is all brand new. It wasn't, see, this wasn't like a mainstream thing like it is now. It wasn't something that was widely promoted. It wasn't something where, you know, you got an A to B step-by-step -step book and know exactly what to expect in places like this. It wasn't like that at this time. There wasn't a bunch of, uh, there was internet, but it's nothing like it is now. There was, um, there was no YouTube. There was no how to get into the industry books and how to get into industry videos and all this could have talked. Now, there was none of that shit, Right. It was basically roll the fucking dice, see what happens. Maybe shit works out well. Maybe you end up on the side, you know, of a railroad track. That, that I'm just I'm telling you this because it's true, you know. Um, before I went here, there were other there was another job where I was working at it was a call center, right? I worked at a um, at a uh, phone sex. <laughs> I did phone sex before I got into the porn industry, right? And, um, you know, people who, you have to think about people who call on the phone six because it's expensive. It's expensive. And these people call back, man. It could be anywhere from $1.99, $3.99 to $5.99 a minute, man. And these people stay on the phone for like 20 minutes and call back. And stay on the phone another 20 minutes and call back. And then stay on the phone another 20 minutes and call back. And after that, they don't call back because either their credit card will not let them do it anymore or the system that we work for will not allow them to do it with that same credit card anymore. You know what I mean? So, and it's to do avoid fraud. <laughs> you know what I mean? So these people are calling. And anyway, when they cut out for the day, it cuts out for the day, and then you start recognizing them, they'll call back you know, either later on during the week or even as early as the next day. But you have to ask yourself, what type of people can afford to do this? What type of people can afford to make these calls so repetitiously and so dedicated? I mean, you do the math. $1.99 for 20 minutes, it's 40 bucks. Okay, not a problem. You do that three times in a row, 120 bucks. You know what I mean? It's a lot for a phone call for an hour and a half, you know. Yeah, for an hour's worth of phone call, it's a lot. And again, that's the low end. The higher end was the $6 ones. So basically, 100 and what? 120 times three? So you're talking like 360 bucks in an hour. And then I'm calling back the next day to do it again. 
or later on during the week, do it again. What kind of people make that kind of money that can afford this? This dude just blew $360 an hour. That was a week's salary for me at $10 an hour. Just basic numbers, just basic math. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mind-blowing shit, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, ask yourself. I mean, <laughs> a lot of money. What type of people make this kind of money? And don't Horny have people. access. Horny people, yes. yeah, but there's, <laughs> there's there's definitely horny people, but yeah. There's a lot of horny people that horny people that don't make the money that can afford to do this shit. So the only people that I know of, especially at this time, that can make that kind of money. If you had access, if you had access to these people that you wanted to talk to in real life, you wouldn't be paying like that to talk to them, would you? No. Of course not. All right. So these are people who are not part of this industry. These are people who do not have access, or at least they don't want to expose themselves to this industry. They may have access to it and just choose to avoid it. But if that means, if you're choosing to avoid it or just don't have access to it, it means, either way, it means the same thing. You're not part of it. So where are you making this money that you're not part of this industry? Doctors make a lot of money. Lawyers make a lot of money. Dentists make a lot of money. Hedge funds operators make these guys make a lot of money. You know what I mean? People who work in the in the trade, these people make a lot of money. Booking agents, book these people make a lot of money. You know what I mean? I'm just saying. This this is uh you know and you're right, there is that one guy who just works hard and doesn't have anything else to do with his money. There's another guy who, you know, who's got his pension, he's retired, whatever, and he's just by himself and he just doesn't have anything else to do with his money. Whatever. Um yeah, I'm just saying. These type of people can't do this back to back. You got to be making a lot of money to do it back to back. Why do I bring all this up? Ah. Head shines, right? I'm bringing it up because while I was working at this phone sex operation, there were girls who are obviously being invited by these very wealthy guys to come out. Hey, man, if I can get your address, which of course is strictly forbidden. I mean, in any job, in any job, it's not strictly forbidden for you to give out personal information like that. Any job, including your own, you can't give out your personal information. You want customer service? can't give out your personal information. If I call T-Mobile right now and I have fantastic service on T-Mobile, I can't ask this lady for her, you know, for her phone number or her address so I can send her a birthday card or, or a Christmas card. You can't. If she gives out her information, she's fired. That's such a liability, right? Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> that being said, these young girls, you know, they do what they want. <laughs> they're hard-headed. They're smart, like I was, you know, smart. I know better than everybody else, you know. On one hand, you know, you got this job, you know, and you know what the rules are, the policy. On the other hand, you know, you know, this dude makes a lot of fucking money. It's an opportunity to hang out with this dude who makes a lot of fucking money. A lot of girls are going to jump on that. A lot of girls jump on that, right? A lot of times they're fantastic stories. Man, this guy took me to Aruba and such and this and that, blah, blah, blah. He spent this and that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, on the other hand, there were a lot of mess up stories as well. And again, without getting to a whole bunch of the gore, uh, yeah, you know, there were girls 
you know, who never made it back to work or anywhere else, you know. Um, so you just didn't know. It was a roll of the dice. There wasn't there wasn't the type of verification. There wasn't like a Facebook you could get on and check people or you know uh, the uh, background searches that you have on the internet now. These things didn't exist like that back then. Um, so here I am face to face with this guy and he's telling me that he wants me to go into the back of this fake unit office and get naked. <laughs> he wants me to get my dick hard so he can take pictures, right? Now I'm going to give you the image of this guy again. He's like 6'3". He's close to 300 pounds. He's got great big ass bulging eyes and, and, and he's, he's with, with a lisp and, and, and a stutter with these great big ass fucking eyes, right? He scared the shit out of me, dude. I kid you not. He looked like he was just way, 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 way too anxious to do something. I know it's not his fault. He just sounded that way and looked that way. So I took this magazine that he offered me to help me get my edge and I went back to the bathroom and I was looking for something to hit him with if I had to. I was in the bathroom looking for anything. Uh, but I mean, I'm in the bathroom. There's nothing. I was looking for like a, you know, a, a towel rack or something, anything. There was absolutely nothing. So I rolled up, <laughs> I rolled up the magazine that he gave me, right? I went to jailhouse with it, right? I rolled up the magazine as tight as I can possibly make it and twisted the end, you know what I mean? <laughs> Just, you know, to make either a small size bat or, a, a, you know, not a dagger, but at least something that would be small enough to, you know, punch your <laughs> ice socket if I need <laughs> I was really in defense mode, and because I was in fight-or-flight mode, there was no way I could get my dick hard, right? So, I just stepped out, magazine still rolled up tight in my hands as I possibly could, right? And I'm naked, it was, must have been funny as hell to see. I said, hey man, I don't think I can get it hard, man, I'm sorry, I don't think it's going to work out. And he said, no, you're fine just the way you are. And that made me even more nervous. I'm like, fuck, it's on. <laughs> like, we're going to have to fucking get down right now. <laughs> Shit, right? Sure enough, he went behind the desk, reached for the camera, pulled out the camera, and just, you know, took a knee and <laughs> started taking pictures. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> He's like, oh, you don't need the magazine. You can put the magazine down. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I put it down, but I kept it kind of close. Um, so he's taking pictures. And then he says to me, you know, you're going to do pretty good in this industry. And I said, oh, yeah. I'm still kind of apprehensive about this, but I'm like, okay. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, man. He's like, girls like guys like you. I was like, what do you mean, guys like me? He's like, you know, skinny guy with big dick. I was like, what? And again, he's saying all this still with the list and the stutter, but I'm not noticing as much now because my fear is not as intense as it was before. Um, he's like, yeah, yeah, 
skinny guys with big tits. Now, this was the first time I had her getting back to that whole big dick thing. This was the first time that I had ever heard a man reference my dick as being big. It was weird. Now, again, I had sex with girls, but I also grew up in a house full of women. And I'm going to tell you why that plays a role. Women talk so much shit about dudes when they get together. And in my house, there was like three generations of women. And that's all they, that's not all they did. But when they talked about men, oh my gosh, it was unbelievable. All they did was laugh, joke, talk shit, right? And then they would talk about the things that they would do to build their egos. Things that they would have to do to boost their egos, boost their confidence, mm -hmm. all this shit. It was like a mad game, you know what I mean? And then I would see when they brought, when their boyfriends would come over or whatever, how they treated them. And I would remember all this shit that I had heard. I was like, motherfucker, are you serious? You know what I mean? I'm like, you know, you guys just ragged on each other's dudes up one side, down the other. And now when they get here, it's like, oh, baby, baby, you know, you're the one, you're this, you're that, you're blah, blah, blah. And, you know, these are my family, but in my head, I'm like, these bitches. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fast forward to about between 17, 19 years old, right? That knucklehead again, remember? So the popular knucklehead. So I'm having sex a little bit here and there, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So around the age of 19, I start noticing, you know, every now and then girls are saying, you know, dick is fucking big, right? Or whatever. But it only sends me back to being back at home and hearing all the things that the women in my household would say. So I'm thinking that these chicks are just blowing smoke up my ass. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really not trying to hear that because as far as I'm concerned, they're doing the same shit that they were doing in my house. It's like, you know, just blowing smoke. I'm like, you know, I, I don't even really need to hear all that shit or whatever, you know. You got yours, I got mine. That, that's it, you know what I mean? That's, like, that's all I hear. So I heard it a couple times, and then I started getting ridiculous, and people started saying things like ketchup bottle and Coke can, and I was like, whatever, man. All you bitches can shut up. Get the fuck out of here, whatever, right? That's just where my head was at, right? And that's why. Um, so now fast forward to the state dentist office, Ed Shine is saying, I'm a skinny guy with a big dick. Now this is something completely different. This isn't, you know, catty women, you know, trying to stroke my ego for whatever reason. This is a dude who's got really not much to gain from complimenting another man's size. So I, I didn't get it. Um, so I was like, you know, I didn't know how to take it. I'm like, all right, well, so I was just like, you know, whatever. All right. So the next thing that happened was I had to go get tested. So my first test was an untested test, if you will. That's when I met the first, or excuse me, the second partner of um, Divine Models. So Ed took the pictures and went back to his back room and had me follow. We went back to the back room. I did have that suit on. I did have that suit on. All right, so we went back to the back room, and um, that's where I met Rob Baker. Rob Baker was the guy who 
would become my manager and um, basically uh, guide me through the industry with his other partner. I will get into her later. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> guide me through the industry with his other partner for the next uh, year or so. <clears throat> I'll say, I'd say like, you know, I'd say year and a half. Yeah, about a year and a half. So, um, I meet Rob and, um, you've got questions for me here, that, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He lets me know what he does. He lets me know what he expects from people that he represents. You know, he's very straightforward. And a lot of things that he was saying at the time, I couldn't keep up with him. I didn't, I didn't really know what he was talking about. There was a lot I couldn't keep up with. But the things that I could understand is either yes or no. Um, so he asked me to meet back with him. And... Um, I ended up coming back to meet up with him, and that was where my first test happened. It was with a girl named Lola. Um, and basically, Lola was um, Lola was on the team. She was part of the Mind Model. She was one of the uh, models that uh, he represented, and she was definitely about the growth of the Mind Models. And I was a potential. Uh, model. <laughs> so basically, uh, Rob introduced us, and promptly after the introduction, um, he wanted to see whether I would be able to perform in front of him with Lola. So, yeah, long story short, yeah, she's going to suck your dick, and then you're going to bang her. And I was like, just just like that, just right here, just like that. He's like, yep, just like that. And she was with it. She was already down there. She was already taking her place in between my legs. So I was like, okay. So again, this is just one of those moments where it was kind of like going back to that whole shoplifting thing with the other girls. Where it was like, it was kind of unbelievable, but I didn't want to act like it was unbelievable. So I just let things happen, just let her do what she was doing. And she was quite comfortable in the situation, which made me quite comfortable in the situation. So, you know, when she turned around and uh, looked back, you know, I made sure not to disappoint. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's how uh, that ended up. And he's like, okay, okay, don't fall in love. I just want to see if you can get your dick out and fuck in front of other people. So I was like, uh, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I can do that. I'm like, okay. And that was it. So again, it wasn't one of those fulfill your fantasies and get your rocks off type thing. It literally was a test. So I did not quote unquote finish, if you will. <laughs> there was no pop shot or anything like that. It was just, can he function? And once he determined that I could function, it was over. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. Dick. <laughs> so after that, he's like, okay, check this out. We need to go get tested. And I know you're saying to yourself, this must be when you got into the industry. This was it. This is the break, right? No. 
No, no, it was not. So, I had told you before about my whole employment situation and skipping from one space to the other and check to check and job to job. And even though I was still at Singer Lee White Greenbaum and Goldstein and I was making $15 an hour, I was not working every day. I was a mail clerk, so I was working, you know, not so much every day. <laughs> they didn't really need a mail clerk to do that much, right? So I did work during the week, but my hours were not great. And um, I worked uh, during the weekends um, for a project on the storage facility. They were trying to work out, and that was kind of cool. Um, but... Um, Again, I had rent to pay. Um, I had a girlfriend I was living with at the time. We had to eat and all this good jazz. And um, I was on the verge of having my first son. So I was not, uh, you know, bawling, and I didn't have money to squander. Now, when he told me about the test, um... He said the test was $85. I was like, $85? It just seemed like it was so much money at the time. $85. I know people would kill to pay $85 for a test right now. They're considerably more. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, at the time, $85. Bucks. Like, oh, God, $85, bucks, man. I didn't know for sure whether I was going to work any more than anybody else does. You know, you get tests and just guaranteed work. I wasn't contracted yet. Yeah, I didn't even know what a contract was. I didn't have any of that stuff. It was just, okay, get the test, and then we'll see about getting you some work. I was like, see about getting me some work? That's not saying I have a job. You know what I mean? So I was like, fuck, I can't do it. Isn't that crazy to think? Like 15 years ago, I was scared to invest $85 into what <laughs> has now become this. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now... It didn't happen. So, okay, set my dreams aside, go back to my regular life, whatever, whatever. But here's how life works. For some reason, I did have money to squander on PS3, or excuse me, the PS1. At this time, the PlayStation 1 had come out, and the PlayStation 1 was $150 at this time. And I had two. <laughs> I had two PlayStations, right? Um, you know, because I was really responsible and shit. <laughs> Oh my gosh! I was a gamer, dude. I'm still a gamer, so that's that's basically what it is. Um, so my brother wanted to borrow one of my PlayStations, so I was like, "Yeah, cool, boom." Well, it wasn't long before he ended up fucking up my PlayStation. So he let me know, "Hey, dude, I fucked up your PlayStation. I owe you another one." So I was like, "Hey, I've already got one PlayStation. I don't really need two. What I do need is a test." So hey, check this out. Instead of paying 150 or 160 or whatever for a new PlayStation, how about I cut you a break? You pay for my test, which is only $85, which is half the price. You win, I win, everything is cool. He's like, bet. So he paid for my first test. Went back to Rob. I figured at least that way I didn't really lose anything because I still had a PlayStation. So I went back to uh, Rob with my test, and he set me up with my first scene, like within a couple of days. Um, it was a gangbang scene with Sabrina Johnson. 
And I believe the movie was called DP Angels. And I believe it was uh, put out by Elegant Angel at the time, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it's called Gangbang Angels 3. Oh, you're the man. You know what? I believe you are correct. And I believe that you would know better than I would. Because <laughs> you're pretty much the man. Thank you. Gang Bang Angels number three. That does sound about right. Was it, was it by Elegant Angel? I believe it was by Elegant Angel. I believe Elegant Angel put it out. But um, in any case, yeah, there were some... Um, there were some heavy hitters there, all of which you know I didn't know. Because, again, I didn't really watch a lot of movies. I didn't, I didn't watch a lot of porn at, at all, really. Um, but um, he set me up for my first scene with her. And I remember being very apprehensive about the whole thing. I remember not wanting to be seen. I remember not, I, I remember not wanting to be recognized. I remember trying to hide vehemently. I remember... You were right about Elegant Angel. Oh, awesome. Um, I, um... I, uh... I was trying not to be noticed by family, anybody, you mm -hmm. know. Not sure why I'm worried about that, but, uh... I just didn't want to be seen. So... Maybe it was social stigma, maybe, I don't know, whatever it is. You know, I don't want to be labeled as a people do. Porn, porn is, again, it did not have the imagery that it does today. Back then, it was just very seedy. It was very bad. It was very slimy. And these are actual words that used to be used to describe it back then. Slimy, sleazy, seedy. You don't even hear those words anymore. <laughs> now you hear it like stalker. Stalker and creep. That's all you hear now. <laughs> but back then, sleazy, seedy. <laughs> oh, my God. Scum. Things like that. You hear words like that. <laughs> Not at all, man. Fucking everything. Porn is everything now. It's like all that. Everybody wants to be a fucking porn star. Mainstream artists want to be porn star now. It's funny. Um, but anyway, so I disguised myself as best as I could as a biker. I remember the scene was going to take place in a bar, so I tried my best to dress up as a biker. And I went as far as to put a bandana on my uh, head, glasses on my eyes. I, I, I had a, a leather vest. Uh, I tried to uh, cover up my arms with, uh, with uh, um, a thermal. I remember these jeans that I wore. I had these, like, biker boots and shit that I wore. I mean, I was just so out of character for my normal self. I mean, I was the type of guy who wore sweats, and I wore tennies, and, you know, I, I, everything was Adidas, and... and um, it was three-stripe this and that and T-shirts and, you know, I had headbands on. I, I just, I either dressed like a bank, like a, well, not like a banger. I dressed like a B-boy or just, just real, like, you know, urban chill. That's it. You know what I mean? Urban chill. <laughs> when I say that, I mean shorts and T-shirts and stuff like that, you know. It was still, you know, late 90s, so you got to be careful what you wear. I still live in L.A. Um, but... I, I dressed very 
chill and very neutral for the area. So a lot of sweats. Uh, I, I wore a lot of white. I wore black, you know, very solid stuff. Solid white, solid, you know, black. Um, I didn't wear too many of the, you know, the bright colors that, that might turn into jazz. <laughs> so not too, not too many bright primary colors is what I'm trying to say. Anyway, um, I even went as far as to wear fake tattoos. I had fake tattoos on my neck. I had fake tattoos on my arm. I was really, really trying not to be recognized. Once my pants came down, none of that mattered. None of it mattered. Everything shut down. It was like, I felt as though I had done something wrong. I felt like I got undressed and, and everything was wrong. But before we got to that point, I met everybody, shook some hands. I remember names, some people I didn't recognize. I didn't really recognize anybody at the time. In retrospect, you know, there were some heavy hitters at that time, you know, on that stage that day. Um, there was a guy named Lex Lexington Steele. I don't know, maybe you've heard of him. Maybe. <laughs> he was on that. He I think I may have set. interviewed him a couple times. Right. He was on that set that day. There was another guy named Cuba, another guy named Flex, another guy named Mark Anthony. I don't know, maybe you've heard of him. Possibly. I think uh, I've I think I've interviewed him as well. Right. Uh, there was uh, another guy named Tice Brunet. Um, there, there were, there was. I guess I'm trying to say there was about ten guys. I think ten guys in total, maybe more. Um, and the lovely Sabrina Johnson. She was very, very nice. She came up, introduced herself to me. Hey, how are you doing? My name's Sabrina. I understand you're new. Mark Anthony told me about you. Don't worry. Just enjoy yourself. Have fun. I'll do everything. Wow. Awesome. I remember when girls would tell up and introduce pros back then, man. Pros. Girls just introduce themselves and stuff like that. Or you get to meet girls at parties beforehand and stuff. And it's like, yeah, you already had a cool chemistry, whole, cool, cool vibe. You know, you knew that, that, that you know, you know it's work. But you got people that want to work with you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we're going to do this, man. Make it happen. Don't worry. I got you covered, man. I'm like, oh, shit. Dope. So, things are going well, and she's making it rounds. You know, the scene starts. And she comes in, and she's making her rounds, and she's teasing a couple guys here and there, whatever. And I remember, I think I was playing pool or something like that in the scene. And then she comes and makes her way around the pool table and she's teasing guys here and there, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Maybe some kissing here and some pants stroking there, whatever. Anyway, at some point, I remembered the director motioning me to get undressed. So I go ahead and I start taking my clothes off. And um, I start noticing things falling apart, right? The boom starts to fall into the shot. The boom guy is looking at me. Everybody starts looking at the boom guy like, hey, what the fuck? And they look at the boom guy and they're looking at what the boom guy is looking at and they turn around and look at me. And the director is looking at the lighting guy and the boom guy like, what the fuck are you guys looking at? 
the director looks at me, and everything just stops, like, oh, shit. And then they look at Lex, and they look back at me, they look back at Lex, and they look back at me, and then I hear somebody say it. He's bigger than Lex. I didn't know what any of this shit meant. I didn't know anybody at the time. I didn't. I didn't know any of this shit, right? Um. All I know is that I was mad, nervous because everybody was staring at me. Again, I want you to understand this is happening in a couple of seconds. So I reached down and pulled my pants back up because I felt like I had fucked up, and all of a sudden <laughs> they're like, "No, no, 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 whoa, 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 whoa," you know. Keep the pants down, and you know the observations are continuing. It's like, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go, right? Pick it up. The record's like, geez, kid. <laughs> it sounded so 70s. Geez, kid. So yeah, I'm like 23 years old now at this time, and um, yeah, this is all you know, wild jazz for me. So yeah, so you know, makes her way over to me and starts, you know, giving me the blowjob and all that good jazz. And, and again, it sets my mind at ease again because she said she had my back and it basically validates the fact that I did not take my pants down too early and everything was okay again. All right, I'm telling you, getting your dick sucked by a hot chick, it makes things okay. You know, I could be getting arrested at the Eiffel Tower, you know what I mean? It's a very awkward moment. And, you know, someone says, hey, it's okay, starts giving me head. You know, things are just a little bit better, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I know I'm going to jail in France, but I'm getting head right now. The Eiffel Tower just just makes things a little bit better. Um, so it's a gangbang. There's a PP involved. There's anal involved. So now Sabrina Johnson is making her professional round, saying, "Hey, okay, should be good with you for the anal. Fantastic, should be good with you for the anal." She goes up to Lex and like, "Hey, Lex, check this out." I'm going to try to take you anally. I'm pretty sure I can. Um, but I just want to start slow and just ease it in. And I remember Lex telling her, shit, I don't know what you're talking to me for. That's the motherfucker you should be talking to over there. <laughs> I'm like, did I do something? I was like, uh, what? And she's like, no, 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 I'm not even going to try to put that in my ass. <laughs> she's like, nah, that's not happening today. And it didn't. Um, but like I said, this is, this is when everything is coming into focus for me. This is when all of a sudden I'm starting to realize uh, that this is, this is who I am. Or this, this is how they see me. I'm starting to realize that uh, it started with Ed. And again, I mean, I, I had heard it from girls before, but I never took it into account. Like, never took it into account. But it started with Ed, and now I'm hearing it from director, who's another guy, and now I'm hearing it from Lex. And again, I have eyes. I'm looking at Lex like, you know, that's a big dude, you know? And Lex is like, this is the dude you got to be worried about. So I'm starting to realize that even if I didn't see it before, this day made it something that I needed to acknowledge, you know what I mean? So this was literally the first day that I, you know, was starting to realize that maybe, maybe there was something to this. 
maybe it was all show, maybe it was this, but nah, dude, there were just too, too many fingers were being pointed my way at the same time from, from too many different types of people, you know what I mean? So that's when I realized, okay, maybe there's something to this. There's something about um, Jack. Yeah. But we haven't yeah, gotten there that. yet. We haven't gotten to that point yet, now. Um, so, the scene continues. They're starting to do the, the, the gangbangs and the DPs and all that. And I, I got to be honest, man. I'm, I'm, I'm far from homophobic. However, I do have my comfort zone, right? And a gangbang, particularly with that many people, can definitely push the limits of your comfort zone. You will definitely know immediately what you are and are not comfortable with in a gangbang. So, um, pop shot time comes around. And again, I'm not, I've never been one to watch a lot of porn at this time. And, um, I was not one to masturbate, believe it or not. Contrary to popular belief, not all guys masturbate. Um, and that's not to say that I had never tried. It's just to say that I had never been successful at it. And it felt weird, and I don't like feeling weird. I mean, it felt good, but it was never anything to bring me to climax. So it just felt like I was doing all this for nothing, which felt weird, and I don't like feeling weird. So I didn't do it anymore. Plain and simple. Um, so now we're at the gangbang, and this is my first scene, and everything is all about the pop shot. And I don't know how to get myself off by jacking off. Now, in addition to that, because it's a gangbang, everybody wants like simultaneous pop shots and they want it all to be close and they want everybody to be ready and, you know, right there within range of each other. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a gangbang before, <laughs> but we were all under these hot lamps. Again, the light, the lights that they have today are like nice and cool. They're fluorescent. They're large, four banger, Tino four-banger amps and stuff like, or excuse me, lamps and stuff like that. But back then, they had these little, super hot, heat-radiating Toda lights. Uh, Toda was the brand. I mean, it was cool for what it was at the time, but they were very hot, very hot. And we were in a closed-off room, and there was a bunch of us, and we were all being very active, and there was a lot of sweat, and it was hot. That being said, now everybody's crazy close within proximity of each other so you can get, you know, super tight on the girl for the pop shot. And I'm around a bunch of naked dudes and I feel a brush of sweaty arm on my shoulder. And I'm like, oh, so I, you know, step back a little bit. I try to move over to a little, you know, to the right a little bit, see if I can find another spot. And I find a little brush of sweat across the leg. I'm like, oh, so basically, it was really very difficult for me to find my spot. And in addition to that, I, I in my head, I knew I was not going to be able to jack off anyway. So I had to make a decision. And my decision was I had a good time. 
but this industry is not for me. So I didn't want to mess up the scene. And um, I uh, looked up at the cameraman. The cameraman is focused on the girl for the pop shot. I look at the director. He's focused on the girl for the pop shot. I'm looking at the lighting guy. He's focused on the girl for the pop shot. Everybody's focused on the girl for the pop shot. So I kept doing my motions. I just started walking backwards, walking backwards, until I walked completely out of sight. I grabbed my clothes, got my pants on, got a shirt on, grabbed the rest of everything else, and just started walking toward the back door. Like, it was fun, but, you know, it's not something I can do. And I figured, well, that's it, man. <laughs> that's it. So I headed out the back door. And I ran into Rob. He was out there the whole time. Ran into Rob. I was like, fuck. Try to make a clean getaway. And uh, it did not happen. So, Rob was like, are you finished? I said, I'm finished. I said, the scene's still going on, but I'm done, man. I, this, is, this isn't for me. I can't do it. I, you know, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't do the pop shot. She was like mad uncomfortable. So I'm, I told her, I'm sorry for wasting your time. Sorry for letting you down, whatever, but this isn't for me. It was at that point where Rob gave me uh, a sum of money that I'm... Have I ever told you what this sum of money was? I yeah, told you uh, the story I'm trying to remember. Time. I think so, but I can't remember how much it was. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and... <clears throat> I'll go ahead and disclose it now because like, shit is so wide open nowadays anyway. But yeah, I'll go ahead and disclose it now. I didn't want to do it at the time, and he didn't want me to do it at the time. Um, but to give you an idea of what, uh, a rate talent was at that time, um, or a talent rate was at that time, um, boy, girl scene top rate at that time was about 400 bucks. Now I'm not saying there weren't people getting a little bit more. I'm saying a very standard rate at that time for a guy having full-blown sex with a girl was about 400 bucks, And you had to be a somebody to receive that much. Gangbang scenes at that time did not pay guys that much. It was considerably less. Um, I made... $250 that day. He gave me $250 that day. And he said, don't tell anybody what you're making today. And I said, I wasn't going to. In fact, I was going to leave. <laughs> but uh, I wasn't planning on seeing any of you ever again, actually. But um, just out of curiosity, you know, why is it that you want to make sure that I don't tell anybody and he said, because I am going to make you famous. I'm going to make you a star. He said, and people are going to hate you. He's like, they're going to hate you anyway. I just don't want them to immediately start hating you. I was like, why the hell would anybody hate me? I don't even know anybody. I'm a nobody here. 
he's like, no, that's where you're wrong. He said, they're going to hate you because you are already where they can't be. You're already, there are people here, he's like, you don't see it, but the people who are here who have been here a while already know that you're going to go places that they can't go. And they're going to hate you, right? He's like, they're going to hate you anyway. I just don't want it to happen immediately. He said, this was just a test to see if you could perform under this pressure, right? This is just to see if you could perform in a gangbang if you needed to. He's like, you did everything that I needed you to do. You came, you handled the pressure. I'm like, I didn't even finish. He's like, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I just wanted to see if you can handle this type of pressure. He's like, and you did fine. He's like, you came in, you were cool with the girl, you were courteous, you were likable, you looked good, you got your dick hard, you fucked the girl, whatever, blah, blah, you didn't let everybody else shake you out. I'm like, at the end, I couldn't help. He's like, don't worry about it. He's like, that's something you'll have to work on. The whole masturbating thing. He's like, that's something you'll have to work on. But we'll work on it. And then he said, I'm going to make you a star. And he was smiling when he said it. I want to make you a star. Now, I'm from Los Angeles, right? From the San Fernando Valley, right? Right over the hill from Hollywood. And I grew up with all of the cliches of Hollywood. Ah, I'm going to make you a star, kid. You're going to make the next biggest thing, kid. Just sign here on the dotted line, kid. Name and lights and all that jazz. I mean, we make fun of that shit. It's called Hollywood. We make fun of that stuff, right? So here I am now face-to-face with somebody who's like, I'm going to make you a star. <laughs> and it was, it was hard not to laugh at it. You know what I mean? But I'm like, you know, okay. I wasn't concerned about any of that jazz. I wasn't even concerned about getting paid that day. But he did pay me, and he told me he was going to have some more work for me. So I was like, all right, that's all I was concerned about, just paying bills, taking care of business, and having some cushion in between the next job that I knew I was going to need to get eventually. That's all I cared about. Things in the meantime were still going okay. Singer Lee Singer Leewag Greenbaum and Goldstein, things were all right. Uh, I had to call in certain days. Like, for example, the day that I went to the scene, I had to call off sick, take a sick day, like, oh, I'm sick, you know, whatever, blah, 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 so I could do this scene. Um, so I went in, whatever, did my thing. About a week later, Rob calls me back. And he's like, look, I've got a better scene with a better girl in a better place. Um, and, um, it's a bigger budget. Uh, well, it's not a bigger budget. That particular thing wasn't a bigger budget, but, uh, it was a nicer place, and it was for more money, right? So the second scene I did was for Tom Stone for Silverstone Productions. And I worked with a Puerto Rican girl named Cricket. And I believe the name of the movie was Pickup Lines. I don't know if it, I think it was like the late 30s, either 38 or 39, 37, something like that. And uh, 
it was everything he said. Nice Malibu location, um, house on the beach or overlooking the beach. Um, it's a really sick pad. And uh, girl is beautiful. Everything is fantastic. Made more money. But there are more lessons, right? I had no problem with coming this time and have guys around me, whatever, blah, blah, blah. The girl let me have sex to come and boom, it's fantastic. Um, but what I was learning was that the money was getting better and I was now evolving into, uh, not a, I don't want to say a staple, because again, this is only my second scene, mm -hmm. but after my second For scene... For Pickup Lines like, 40, to be exact. Oh, okay, yeah. I know I know that I did one in, in Pickup Lines 40, but I, I did a couple of them. I did Pickup Lines, I did a couple of Pickup Lines, and I know another one was a D. E. Yep, 40, 41, and 43. There you go. So, uh, yeah, I wasn't sure which was which. Those and, are collectibles uh, I, now, listeners. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, because uh, Silverstone Productions is no more. Um, so, yeah, you, if, if you can find those, I would say definitely get your hands on those um, because, uh, yeah, there will be no more printed. <laughs> if you can get your hands on it, I definitely say do that. Or, I mean, if, it's, if it's something that you can buy for purchase, um, through uh, one of these DVD online DVD companies, uh, adult DVD online or what have you. And um, yeah, I would say do that because yeah, good stuff, classic stuff, unreproducible stuff. <laughs> um, I think there was a girl named Leilani Lee in one of those and um, she uh, was a girl from Connecticut who stopped and uh, went back to school in Connecticut, graduated doing big things. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about that <laughs> before people start recognizing her. Like, oh, snap, pick up my 43, bitch, I know you. <laughs> we, we don't want that. We want to go to college and graduate just to have that happen. But anyway, um, yeah, man. What was happening was not so much the star stuff, but it started to become a viable source of income because as soon as that was done, he's like, hey, I got another one for you. Uh, this is going to be for, uh, for uh, Dale. <laughs> oh, wow. I remember that. Uh, this is going to be for, um, I, think, I think his last name was... Uh, I want to say his last name was Hart, but uh, I don't remember the last name. I know he had a brother named Corey. It was Corey and Dale, and they both used to be directors for uh, for Elegant as well. And I did a scene for Dale, and this was my third scene, and my third scene did not work out very well. Um, my third scene was with a girl named... Uh, Oh, and this was that DP something, DP something. Maybe this was DP Angels, DP Freaks, or Super DP Freaks, or something like that. Um, and her name was um, Honey something. 
<laughs> honey love or honey something. Something like that. The point is, the name was very inappropriate. <laughs> she had a very sweet name, but she, yeah, not so much. Um, it was a rough day. It was my first rough day in the industry. Um, they wanted me to wear a condom, which was something I was very uncomfortable with at the time. Um, they wanted me to do a DP, which I had never done, so I was also very uncomfortable with that at the time. And... Uh, I didn't know what anchoring was, so they wanted me to anchor. And basically that means that you are at the bottom while the girl sits on the top and what have you. And uh, I couldn't control much. I couldn't see what was going on, and I was very uncomfortable with that as well. So with all of these things that I had never dealt with happening at the same time, there was the girl. And her attitude was uh, less than desirable. So Mark Anthony is like, hey, this is my second, my second encounter with Mark Anthony. And uh, Mark Anthony is, uh, to his credit, man, I, I want to give a quick shout out real quick to Mark Anthony, man, because he, he's been down with me since day one, down for me since day one, literally. And, um, there were two times that I didn't listen to Mark Anthony, and both times I paid for it. Right? Ever since then, I listened to Mark Anthony, with the exception of going to Brazil, but that's another story. <laughs> but uh, everything that he's ever told me stateside has been good, solid advice, and I definitely want to say thank you to him for that. Um, Mark, Getting back to the story, Mark Anthony was like, hey, Jack, Tell you what, I have got uh, a girl. I'm supposed to be working with Cherry Lee. If you want, I'll work with Honey Love, and uh, you can work with Cherry Lee, right? It's a one-on-one scene, and I'll do your DP for you, right? And I didn't know about all the swapping things at this time. I just know that I was booked to do this, and I had to do this, and I didn't know who Cherry Lee was, and I didn't know Mark Anthony that well. And I was like, man, I mean, is he doing me a favor? Or is he making it look like it's a favor and throwing me under the bus? I didn't know. I didn't know anything. It's my, you know, third scene. So I'm like, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and stick with what's going on right here. You know, again, I hadn't, I hadn't met uh, Cherry Lee yet. But uh, I should have listened to Mark Anthony, man. I should have heeded his advice. She was much nicer, much better looking, and it would have been a one-on-one scene, so it would have been a much easier thing to do. Uh, so, yeah, next time. <laughs> next time Mark Anthony offers me some pussy, I'm probably going to take it. <laughs> Just saying. Um, so, um, ended up trying to do the scene with Honey Love, and it was, it was, it was not bad. It was, it was good. I'm not saying that right. It was so bad, I can't even speak right right now. <laughs> I'm trying not to say really bad things, but it was just, it was not good. It was atrocious. Um, it was atrocious. Yeah, it was, it was horrible. So, uh, that's how. That's Shout how out that to Honey out. Love, or maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was her name, Honey Love. I know, it was like super DP freaks, 
And, uh, yeah, I keep saying that Super DP Freaks. I, I knew it was sticking in my head for some reason. Super DP Freaks was like, yeah, Honey Love. I think that was her name. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, I felt really bad. You know what I mean? I got through the, got through the scene, struggled through the scene, but got through the scene. But at the end, you know, I couldn't do the pop shot. Uh, again, I don't do the, the jacking off thing and her attitude was like, I'm dead fucking, you know, either jack off or whatever, pay me my money. Her attitude was just like mad bad, you know what I mean? So anyway, um, and I, I don't know, maybe she was just going through something during that week. I'm not, I'm not taking it personal. It may, I'm not saying that she was just like totally against me or this, that. I'm just saying that's what it was for whatever reason. She had her other reasons. I don't know, boyfriend, kids. Mom, family, finances, shit that had happened earlier during the day or during the week. I don't know. So I, I don't fault anybody for anything. I'm just saying that's what it was at the time, by the time I rolled up. Um, so, yeah, she was through, right? <laughs> she, was, she was through. And I, I couldn't, you know, jack off to a pop shot at that time. So, uh, so yeah, I'm like, hey, um, Dale... I'm sorry, man. I I can't I can't do this. I can't can't finish it, right? I I didn't have it that confidence in myself at that time. I didn't have the mind control at that time. I was saying that I couldn't do it because I didn't know how to do it at the time. Um. So we concocted a little cocktail of of you know pina colada mix and did the fake cum shot thing. Um. I know people listening to this like, oh, pina colada, oh, I know the secret. It's like mad old dude. But anyway, um, after the scene was done, you know, my head was in a slump. I felt real, real bad, right? So at this time, I had been quoted a rate of $400, right? Oh, remember I told you about that top rate talent? Mm-hmm. This is my third scene. I was making, I made $400 my second scene. This is my third scene. I'm making $400. So basically three scenes in, I'm, you know, literally one of the big boys, at least on pay, pay grade. Um, that's why Rob told me don't say anything because, yeah, there were people that were, that have been here much longer than I have in this business and they were not making the money that I was making at that time. Um, anyway... Like, people are going to hear this interview like, motherfucker, no. <laughs> 15 years ago, but there's still somebody's going to be salty about it. <laughs> but um, I felt real bad. So I was like, hey, um, Dale, listen, I know my rate was like 400 bucks, dude, but I don't feel right taking in the entire $400 because of how things went, right? I mean, I came to him. He didn't come to me. I, I went to him. And said, "Hey, man, if you want to take a hundred dollars off my check, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm totally fine with that." And to me, a hundred dollars is a big fucking deal, man. A hundred dollars, fucking hundred dollars, fuck. <laughs> to me, that was some big shit. I felt like I was making a serious ass gesture because I was. Um. So he's like, and he told me, you know what? That's really big of you, man. He's like, you know, no, I don't. I can't think of too many people that would do what you're doing right now, man. So that's that's really cool, man. I, I can't think of too many people that show some some serious character that you have, you know. So he wrote out my check for three hundred dollars. I'm like, dude, are, are you sure we're cool? Is everything cool? He's like, yeah, man, we're cool, right? Later on that day, I got picked up by my manager because I wasn't driving yet. Got picked up by Rob, and I told Rob what happened, 
and I told him about the gesture I had made, and I told him how happy it made Dale. He's like, you should have kept the money, because I talked to him right now, and he said he was never going to hire you again. And I looked at him with just such this shock, like, like, wow, did he really tell you that? It ended up not really affecting me, but it just it was it was interesting because I had come to him like that point blank, you know, from the heart, you know what I mean? Genuinely sorry about how things turned out. Um, and putting the blame on myself, you know? Um, and I don't know that this is true for a fact that this is what he told Rob. I don't know this for a fact. But if it is, you know, it's very disheartening because that's something, even even if he didn't say it as abruptly, it, it's definitely something he could have let me know. If that was the case, he could have let me know that then. Like, hey, Jack, I work for some other people. This is not going to fly well. You're a new guy and you kind of fail. So, you know, if he had said that, I'd have been like, you know, I, I would have understood you know, if he had been like, hey, you know, I appreciate the gesture, but here's what it is. Or, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and give you the 400 because I know I'm probably not going to see you no more. You know, whatever the hell the case was, you know. Um, and again, I don't know that he said that, but if he did, I would have thought that would have been a better way to do it. Anyway. So, my head was in a slump for a while. And um, it didn't take long to get my next scene. Next scene was a knockout of the park, right? My next scene was for, you guessed it, West Coast Productions. Bam. Bam. My first scene for West Coast Productions was with a guy that you may or may not know went by the name of Wesley Pipes. I think I know Shout him. Out. Shout out to Wesley Pipes. Absolutely. Right now, Wesley Pipes is in chemotherapy. He was... Um, he was... Um, what is the word? Diagnosed. He was diagnosed with lung cancer sometime before Christmas. Yeah. Uh, last last year. Oh, you had heard about this? Yeah, so yeah, I, I reached out to, you know, I, I send him texts every once in a while just to make sure he's okay. That's what's up on the, I actually do the same thing as well. We had a fundraiser for him while we were in Vegas as well, trying to figure out some other stuff that we can do as well. Um, but, um, yeah. Um, if I had been prepared for this story, there, there's, there's a link. Um, I'm so on the fly right now, right? But there's, there's a link that I can't think of offhand uh, for his, for his uh, fundraiser. As well. Yeah, there's a GoFundMe. Uh, exactly. Listeners, just Google GoFundMe and Wesley Pipes, and I think you should be able to see it on via Google or something. You are the man. Thank you, sir. That's why I fuck with you, man. That's why I fuck with you. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so Wesley Pipes was, uh, <clears throat> on set and there was a girl who, um, you may know or know of. Her name was Obsession. Oh yes. You've had plenty of fantastic scenes with Obsession. I have. 
I have. She is a uh, top choice. Top choice. <laughs> that's my friend right there. So that's she is my friend, man. Um, in a lot of ways. Um, but we'll get to that later. So I do my scene for West Coast Productions, and this was Booty Talk number eight. And for those of you who are fans of the Booty Talk series, man, I think that went out to like 80 or 180. 100 or something. Yeah, it's, there are many of booty talks. <laughs> a lot of booty talks. So, yeah, I kind of got in there, uh, I guess, relatively early. And my first one was uh, number eight. Incidentally, booty talk number eight also premiered Miss Diana DeVoe. For all you Diana DeVoe fans out there, I believe that booty talk number eight was her first scene. Shout out to Diana so, DeVoe. Shout out, no. Um, so, uh, so yeah, um, knocked it out of the park. That was that was. Uh, I don't. I don't believe that was that was not a DP scene, but it was. Uh, it was two on one. There was definitely some anal involved, and and yeah, for my fourth scene, I you know, I got the bone obsession in the butt. <laughs> not a lot of people can say that. Very true. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Uh, I think I think what made this so iconic, though, was uh, that this was this was literally the beginning of what was going to be uh, a long relationship with West Coast Productions, um, and it was the first time where I was. Uh, a focus, uh, an actual focus of the scene. Uh, they did a small interview with me in the in in the scene, and again, this was the first time that this had happened. Like three scenes prior, you know, I come in and it's the girl and blah blah blah. Or you come in, the girl does this. The girl is the feature, you know. This was the one time that this was different because although obsession was who you came to see and she was the highlight i was the feature in that even when they did the uh, interview with obsession the interview was about me and breaking me in right or at least that was part of her interview and then with the interview with me i mean this is like just some side stuff that's in the movie uh some side stuff that's part of the scene where we had not met each other yet it's just a side interview right hey, Obsession, how are you doing? What's going on? Such and such, blah, blah, blah. And they're talking to her. And, uh, you know, we understand you've got this new guy. And she's like, yeah, yeah, such and such, whoop, whoop, wham, jack, you know, little breaking man, you know what I'm saying? Show him a little something, whatever, blah, 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 right? And when they interviewed me, it's funny because I had not, uh, I had not known about her interview, nor had I seen it at this point. So they were asking me about who I was and where I came from and how I came to be and how I got into this industry and whoop, whoop, wham. And I think they, they made a point to, to mention the fact that it was in fact Gigi from West coast that brought me into this industry to begin with. Right. Um, so everything had come full circle now at this point. So it was kind of a big deal. Uh, even on a small scale, it was a it was a big mark, I should say, 
still on a small scale, but this was this was definitely a big marker, timeline marker, because this is where uh, I've come full circle now, and here's where my journey with West Coast begins, you know? Um, so we knocked the scene out of the park. You know what? If I'm not mistaken, I think I was wearing an Adidas. Oh, yeah, I, I ditched the suit. <laughs> I remember in, in, in the interview, I, I was so Adidas back then, I swear. I was Adidas everything, man. Um, fat laces and shell toes. I was, I was so Adidas everything back then. Um, and I had an Adidas track suit in that interview, a white Adidas track suit with, uh, with black stripes. I was all about it. But anyway, <laughs> um, so we knock it out of the park. And uh, I remember in the, I think I had the shell toes in the scene, the fat laces with the shell toes in that scene too, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, yeah. It goes out, people see it, it gets marketed really well, and all of a sudden there's a buzz because now I'm given like a name. Um, and it's on the box. It's like on the front of the box, not just in the back of the box. It's like on the front of the box. Um, and before long, the, um, the VSDA show comes out. Now, the VSDA show was basically to market um, VHS, VHS sales, and VHS machines. Obviously, this is <laughs> outdated. But this was my timeline for me as I'm coming in. Uh, and that might have been the last VSDA, the second to last VFDA show ever, the last one that I went to. But um, the reason that that was a marker for me is that I had never been to a show before I wasn't following any of these movies. I hadn't seen anything come out, but there were slicks that had been made. And slicks are the the eight by tens that that they give us to autograph, right? Mm -hmm. um, so they invite me to come to the VSDA show, or they basically make me come to the VSDA show. <laughs> I just took it as an invitation, like, hey, we're going to the VSDA show. Um, and Rob is like, okay, let's go. Um, so we go and uh, I meet up with James at the show and, and whatnot and I remember this is early because James was actually making the rounds back then man he was he was he was in it 100% he didn't have the crew that he has now they weren't built up the way so you know he was definitely in, on grind mode back then so he was he was there for everything. He was taking pictures. He was doing video. He was doing interviews. He was marketing his own stuff. He was, you know, coming out, <laughs> introducing scenes, showing up. He was, he was in grind mode. It was a fantastic thing. Um, so I'm glad I got a chance to meet him at that point. Um, so anyway, we didn't really have West Coast Production at this time did not have a booth. So we were showing up at, uh, you know, some other people's booths, doing some things at their booths. And there were slicks there for me when I got there. And it was so weird because I didn't know anything about them being made. I just show up and there's pictures of me right there. I didn't, I didn't have, like, my name up. It was nothing like, you know, come meet Jack Napier and such and such. It's not, you know, not like today. There were just some slicks that were there. And it was just amazing for me to see these pictures of myself. It was a crazy-ass picture. I'm, like, naked facing forward, you know, with my hands up in a shrugged pose. It's like another iconic Jack picture, right? 
Um, but it's just so weird just to see this. And the only thing that was weirder than that was when people started coming up because they already knew who I was, because they had already heard of me or they had already seen me on one of these movies that had already been released that I had no idea about. See, what Rob was doing is he was creating a buzz. He was really, really good at that. He was creating a demand. He was creating a buzz. Like, man, this guy, 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 this guy. And again, Rob already represented a team of very well-known people, right? Very well-known, very respected. I mean, he had uh, he had D, he had Lola, he had Nari Vox. Um, he had, he had uh, a couple of girls from the uh, eccentric series over at Video Team. He was representing a lot of people that were really well-known. He went on to uh, represent... Um, Goodness, what is this Puerto Rican girl's name? Carmen Lovana. He was representing. He was representing Kea, who started off as uh, as uh, Tiffany. Oh, what was her name? Tiffany. Uh, ah, why can I not think of this girl's name? I'm so stuck on the whole Kea name. But anyway. Um, he went on to represent, uh, Nikki, uh, gosh, the last names are killing me. See, what's killing me is that I know these people on a personal basis and I know they're like, you know, they're like name names and that's what's in my head. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying not to say those names. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, so I know, like the first name, Nikki's. First name and first start, stage name. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So anyway, the point is that he represented uh, very well-known and very well-respected people. He had a very solid group. So when and people came to him, you know, producers, directors, they came to him to book these girls, you know. So at every moment, now that I was on his team, at every moment, that someone came up to him and said, hey, you know, such and such, blah, blah, blah. He used that opportunity as, a, as a, you know, as an open door, a foot in the door, be like, hey, you know what, but I also got this new guy. Oh, she's cool. Well, you know what, I got this new guy. And where do you see this new guy? He was creating a buzz. Every chance he got, he dropped, man, I got this new guy. I got this new guy. I got this new guy, right? So by the time I show up to the BSDA show and I see these slicks, there are people who already know who I am, and I didn't, I didn't get it at the time. I was just like, whoa, because I didn't know any of this was happening. At that time, I didn't know any of this was happening. I just show up, and people are like, hey, you're Jack, right? I'm like, yeah, who the fuck are you? <laughs> Not so much like that, but yeah, that's what's in my head. Hey, man, it's nice to meet you. Hey, yeah, I got that such and such that you did. For, you know, I didn't remember all these names, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, the uh, uh, gangbang angels and super DP freaks and elegant this and that. And, you know, I, I didn't know all this stuff. Booty Talk number eight. I didn't even know what Booty Talk eight was at that time, even though I just shot it. You know, I didn't, it wasn't my business necessarily to know these things. All I did was fill out paperwork, 
get dick sucked, get paid. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's what I knew. I didn't know the business end of it yet. I was just like living the life, living the dream, you know? So now I'm starting to meet directors and producers and company owners and other talent and store owners and mom and pop vendors and stuff like that, you know, and they're talking to me like I'm just this business guy. They're, they're not talking to me like I'm just some kid in the street who's trying to stay out of prison. You know what I mean? And it's, it was mind blowing and it was a lot to take in at once. And I hadn't even made it to AVN yet. So I had a good time trying to keep my head together as much as I could. Oh, you know what? I almost got cut up too. <laughs> so at the show, there were, and again, I didn't watch a lot of porn, but I knew who certain people were just because they, their names were that big. You know what I mean? For example, you didn't necessarily have to watch porn at that time to know who Christy Canyon was. She just had a really big name. Um, you didn't have to watch a lot of porn to know who Ginger Lynn was. She just had a really big name. You know what I mean? Amber Lynn is someone else who had a really big name. At this point, even Jenna Jameson did have the name that these people had. In, not in 99. In 99... Christy Canyon's name was bigger than Jenna Jameson, so that should be, you know, that should let you know something. Um, at least, that's what I think. She was definitely, you know, Jenna Jameson was on her way up, but, I mean, she was, uh, you know, up-and-comers, yeah. Randy West. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Yeah, that's, that's definitely, in fact, if you can get your hands on that Randy West up-and-comers, that's another piece that you should go get. <laughs> Shout out to Randy West, man. He is that summertime dude. He is that's Mr. California right there, man. <laughs> he is Mr. That, that dude is Mr. West Coast. He is he is Mr. He is Mr. Beach Boy, man. If if there was somebody that I needed to represent a West Coast California beach, it would be Randy West. <laughs> He's that dude. He looks like King Kahuna, man, all day long, <laughs> man. So, um, anyway, yeah, Randy West, man, first scene, Jenna Jameson comes in her the very first time. Boom! Just explodes in her, cream pie, just like that. Wow! I don't know if that ever happened again, but he got it, it was on the first scene, and therefore, he is the man for life. <laughs> he can say a lot of things, man. A lot of people say a lot of things. Not too many people can say that they nutted in Jenna Jameson first time out. Not too many. <laughs> Enough about that. Anyway, so we're back at the show, and I'm like, oh, shit, that's Christy Canyon. I'm going to go get in line and get this autograph from Christy Canyon. I didn't watch a lot of porn. I was still kind of a fan. I mean, I respected who she was. I knew who she was. I knew what it would be to have a Christy Canyon. Even though I didn't, like I said, I didn't really watch it like that, I knew what it would be to have an autographed picture of Christy Canyon, or just take a picture with Christy Canyon. Fools will be like, oh shit, is that Christy Canyon? So I got in line. And I was there talking to people for a couple of minutes. And the cool part about it was people, I should have realized something was up. Because I was standing in line, like a fan, like a mug, and uh, <laughs> people are in line like, hey, you're Jack, right? I was like, what? <laughs> this right here should have been the first indication. 
that I probably should have been standing in this line, but it wasn't. You know, I'm, I'm still a humble guy, man. I was super humble then too. Um, but uh, up comes Rob, and he grabs me. No words. Grabs my arm, pulls me out of the line. No words. Pulls me off to the side. What the fuck are you doing? I was like, man, I didn't think I needed to be doing anything. So I just, you know, we're done over at the booth, whatever. I was just going to go get an autograph. Just go get an autograph. We'll get a picture. Chris Canyon and shit. He's like, check this out, man. <laughs> and he was so, so serious, right? He was so serious. It's kind of funny now, but I, seriously, he was real, real serious. He's like, look, don't ever let me see you standing in line again. Ever. Waiting for an autograph from anybody. Ever. Don't ever let me see you do that again. Don't ever do it again. And again, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. you have any idea why he was so serious about that? Well, because yes. your talent, yes. I would assume. That is a huge part of it. It is because I am talent. But I, I knew I was talent. I just didn't know what that meant. What that means is... If I'm going to be respected as talent, I have to not be seen as a fan. If I am seen by talent, or anyone else really for that matter, as a fan of what we're doing, whether I am or not, I mean, I honestly am a fan of a lot of people, you know, actually, you know, I, I take that back. I respect a lot of people and I respect their craft and I respect who they are. To be honest, I'm not really a big fan now that I know what the word means. I'm really not. But I respect a lot of people for what they do. And I admire a lot of the things that a lot of people do. Um, but I didn't understand that at the time that if I'm standing in line, because I didn't know what these people went through. I didn't understand what talent went through. Fans are necessary. We love them and we need them. Right. However, we are people and people need space. <laughs> so that is why we allot these certain things and set these things up a certain way so that fans can have access to us. It allows us the interaction with them, but maintains the separation. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there's there's a reason for it. It almost sounds ill, but there's a reason for it. it the, the, I didn't understand it because I wasn't living it at the time, but the separation needs to be maintained. But that being said, once I was standing in line, any one of them, whether I'm with Rob or not, could have been like, oh, this dude's a fan, right? And on a business end, that changed everything. It absolutely changes everything on the business end. Um, and I don't know if I'm really at liberty to get into all of the details, but suffice it to say, it changes things on the business end from from all parties involved. If a talent if talent sees you as a fan, they're going to look at you different than if they saw you as talent. If a director sees you as a fan, then he's going to treat you different than if he saw you as talent. If a producer sees you as a fan, he's going to treat you different than if he saw you as talent. 
just how it is. And it's not this industry that's anywhere in the world, any industry in the world, anything that you do, which is why the separation is maintained. It has to be. Um, so, um, he pulls me out of line and says, hey, if you, if you want something with them, let me know first. I'll take you over there. We'll walk you through. We'll walk past the line because one, I get what I want. I get to respect them. I get to let them know, hey, I appreciate what you do and I respect what you do. And they absolutely appreciate that, right? So that's a good thing. But it also visually separates me from this line of fans. Again, Rob is already established. Everybody knows Rob. So Rob can absolutely walk up past any line and go into any booth and go up to any you know spot, whatever, because everybody knows who he is. Yeah, everybody knows who he represents, right? So if I come in with Rob and Rob is bringing me through and introduce me, I'm validated by Rob, right? And that separates me. Like, okay, this dude, he's all right. He's one of Rob's dudes, or he's okay. You know, such and such, blah, blah, blah. Kind of like the mafia, <laughs> but not on such a grand scale. But yeah, you understand what I'm saying, right? Absolutely. All right, so that, that pretty much was my entrance into um, into the industry before um, before I started my series and got my first contract. And I think this might be a good place to stop because okay. unfortunately we've run out of time. We actually have gone a little bit over time, but it's all good, Jack, because the story was fantastic. It was great to hear. <laughs> Out of your mouth, you know, through your words, you know exactly how you got into the business and uh, what went into, you know, Jack before he was, you know, the Jack Napier that we've all, uh, you know, grown used to seeing on screen and in the various series that you've done. So before we leave, though, I do want to ask, just in case if there are any listeners out there that don't know how to find you on the web, what's your social media? You know, how they, how can they follow you and, and that kind of stuff? All right. Well, depending on how, you know, knowledgeable you are, you know, I'll just do it this way. I am on Facebook. If you want to find me on Facebook, I have a personal page and I have a fan page. I deal with both, but I cannot add anybody on my personal page because Facebook only allows you 5,000 people. And I'm, if I'm not above it still, then I'm real damn close to it. I know I can't accept anymore. But the web address for that is Jack818Napier. So that's Facebook.com slash Jack818Napier, N-A-P-I-E-R. The fan page would be just that, Facebook.com slash Jack-Napier fan page. And that my Facebook will pop up right there. If you're on Twitter... I am Jack Napier Live, N-A-P-I-E-R-L-I-V-E. On Twitter, Jack Napier Live on Instagram. Um, again, we were talking earlier about the uh, popularity of the chain. Um, so also, you can see pictures of various girls, old and new, past, present, and future, uh, wearing that necklace on the Rock the Chain page. So that's at Rock the Chain for Twitter and Instagram. 
In fact, I think I'm going to go post some Riley Reed pictures up now. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, well, Jack, are you game for a part two? Absolutely, man. I, I actually looked at the clock myself, and I said, you know, we should pro- I should probably kind of give you some leeway to break, because, yeah, I think we've been chopping it up. You've been letting me just spit away. <laughs> I have, but the story has been good, so I couldn't cut you off. But, uh, Jack, right. I'd certainly have to thank you so much for this part one of the interview. Oh, no doubt, man. It's definitely been my pleasure, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely continue the juiciness and what will definitely be part two. Fantastic. And listeners, I also want to thank you for tuning into One on One with Poppy Chulo. Tune in for brand new episodes of One on One with Poppy Chulo every Wednesday and Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. You can download this episode and many more by visiting poppychuloradio.com forward slash archives. Registered users will gain access to the Poppy Chulo Radio archives of previously aired broadcasts. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at contact at poppychuloradio.com. Follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash poppychulo radio and like us on Facebook by going to facebook.com forward slash poppychulo radio. With that, Jack Napier and I would like to wish you and yours a wonderful night. Good night, listeners. Good night, guys, gals, friends, fam.